Hello, this is Samuel Roberts from the back page. We're taking the week off this week to recharge ahead of 2023 where we'll be rolling out new episodes. So for the free feed this week, we wanted to give all of our free listeners a chance to listen to the stuff we make on Patreon at patreon.com slash backpagepod. This is the first ever XL episode we made back in April. It's called Best Boss Battles, pretty self-explanatory. Over on Patreon, we make two additional podcasts a month for our listeners, the XL episodes and the XXL episodes. So XL is all about games, XXL is all about pop culture. So we've done everything from Star Wars movies ranked to best Metal Gear moments, our favourite E3 moments, uh, best Zelda moments, lots of moments, you'll notice, uh, but also best TV shows of the century, a massive array of stuff. Matthew did his episode on Japanese crime fiction, which is really good. But the hard sell is over. If you'd like to support us financially, you can. Patreon.com slash backpagepod. But if you'd like to support us on the free feed, um, we'd uh, love a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you could spare a moment. But either way, I hope you enjoy this episode and Happy New Year from us. Thank you so much for your support. Goodbye. Welcome to the Backpage XL, a Patreon exclusive episode of the Backpage podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Is it joined as ever as this is technically the first one? Oh, yeah, I guess not. I'm just very used to saying that uh, conditioned in my own way. Well, that's all right. People probably like to hear that. It, it reassures them that they're listening to a nice sort of continuing through line of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Now, for the people at home, you may think this is about the um, the best boss battles and games, but it's actually um, two hours about sandwich shops and baths. So we're <laughs> going to start with the whole bagels entire menu, then we'll get around to um, John Denton's photo of Intermezzo and what that says about um, our taste in sandwich shops, Matthew. Strap in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm joking, of course. So, Matthew, um, any thoughts on what we're doing on Patreon? I think it's like about time, right? We make a fairly beefy podcast. We want people to be able to support us if they like it. We're not asking them to pay unless they can afford it, but we really appreciate having people listen. Do you have any kind of thoughts on the whole enterprise? Glad that we're doing it, doing a bit of extra stuff. You know, it's not like we were on desperate times or anything, and I don't think we, you know, we would, I think we'd still make the podcast. Well, we would still make the, the main podcast if... Um, Patreon ended up being a massive, massive bust, but you know we commit quite a lot of time to it, and I think that started off with just it wanting to be really good, you know, and wanting the podcast to be well researched and not just kind of like pulled out our ass every week. Yeah, and actually, kind of keeping up that level, you know, requires quite a big time investment. So it would be nice to to have a little bit of a, a little bit of scratch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> How it kind of works is we're basically setting up two tiers of podcasts, but you'll all get them for the same price. If you're listening to this, basically, if the overall Patreon number hits about £600, I think we agreed, we will look at doing a um, a second podcast a month that'll be more generally pop culture focused. And um, in theory, we should have put out some kind of roadmap that explains what we'll do in year one if we hit the numbers. So um, that's kind of what you've got to mm. look forward to. And uh, yeah, we hope that people will enjoy the kind of like deep dives that we go into these episodes. I'll be a little bit... Okay, I guess like adjacent to what we do in the main podcast, but um, a chance to talk about some cool subjects too, and you know, re- reward listeners who want to um, to back us at that level. So, Matthew, this is it then. Like our first um, Patriot episode is about the best boss battles in games. Not talked about boss battles that much, apart from the old God in Space thing and 
the occasional mention <laughs> when a game does come up. As a kind of starting point here, do you remember the first boss battle in a game that really fucked you up? Probably just be like the first boss battle I encountered full stop. Right. Which in my head is the not particularly scary in hindsight Birdo in Super Mario Brothers 2. Right. Not even a full fat boss. It's a mini boss. I think there's something about those older games that when you hit a boss fight, you know, for the first time, the rhythm of the game changes. The fact the screen stops moving and you're kind of locked in and it might play some sinister music. And that stuff actually, when you're a kid, I think lands pretty hard. It's very anxiety inducing. (laughs) Yeah, I think that kind of tallies with my experience. It's like a boss, uh, my kind of like early memories of bosses are when they appear, it's a surprise. And when they do appear, it's this moment of, like, absolute panic and then, like, messing it up three times before realising I have to do the entire level again. Like, that's kind of um, my early experience (laughs) of bosses, I guess. And then... Yeah, the the stakes are higher back then (laughs) because everything's, like, rawer in terms of, like, you know, A, emotionally, you're in a more fragile place as a younger person. And also because games are... Well, I was going to say ropier, that's not fair. Because older games, you know, are a bit a bit less accommodating in terms of checkpoints and things like that. It's The stakes are just generally much higher. Yeah. This could feasibly be the thing you'll never get past. I only ever stopped playing a game because of a boss. There wouldn't be any other reason, I think. Um, the first boss battle that really fucked me up was... Um, I had Mega Bomberman on the Mega Drive. I don't know if you know this game. It's also known as Bomberman yeah. 94, I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. It had like a sort of um, slightly Zelda-y, yeah, it's hard to categorize, but like a single player campaign, like a bunch of levels and single player maps where you blew up blocks and then blew up enemies, then got to the end and tried to collect coins. And it was fairly straightforward. And um, there were a boss levels in those. You kind of like put together, you collected a piece of these different sort of like stone tablet things in each level. And then when they're all put together, a boss would arrive at the end. And there was this big fucker pyramid man who turned up at the end of one of them. And he could, like, basically, like, um, he was like a pyramid for a head. He's not pyramid head. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he in th- he is pyramid head theoretically, but not in actuality. Um, okay, so he had, he had a pyramid for a head is what I'm saying. But um, he was a pyramid for a head. Then he had a really beefy stone arms. And from these arms, these little kind of shoulder sort of like hatches at the top would open. And he'd fire these rockets into the end. And they kind of rain down like fire on Bomberman. And I remember thinking that was bullshit, trying to avoid that. And, like, that was another game that you had to start again if you um, if you lost to a boss and that. And it was just an absolute fuck show. So, and you lost all your pa- <laughs> you lost all your power-ups. You could start the level again, like, back to the, the, the beginning of the act. But yeah. you would lose all of your power-ups, including your ability to drop multiple bombs and your ability oh. to, like, the, the extended, like, blast range of your bombs and, like, laying multiple bombs at once. Like... All these abilities you'd built up, the game just went, nah, fuck you, you can do it on even harder. Now that you've failed, you can do it in a harder way. And it's like, oh, brilliant. It's the original roguelike. <laughs> Basically, Mega Bomb Man was my first like encounter with a boss where I just thought, oh, this is shit. I mean, how, how, old, how, like, how old are we talking here? Uh, let's say, it must have been like 95, something like that. Uh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, like that sounds about right in terms of when I kind of got into games. But. Hmm. Um, yeah, and like before that, I mentioned on the Kirby episode that I played Kirby Streamland. That didn't really have any motherfucker bosses. I think I killed King Day Day, whatever he's called, on the um, first go. And that tree fucker was always quite easy to beat. So, yeah, that yeah. was never too bad. Um, but yeah, Bomberman fucked me up. Sonic um, bosses I always found very eventy, um, the original Sonic game. But like, um, they were never that hard. They were pretty easy, the bosses in Sonic 1. So, yeah, um, good effects on um, Robotnik's sort of. Uh, th- he had that sort of spherical. <laughs> 
sort of demolition ball. Yeah. It was like a sort of 3D ball. It was like a little taste of 3D, or, and that that always looked quite cool. Yeah. Um, it also... Yeah, very easy. Very easy to bust bust his chops. Yeah, even like the final boss in Sonic 1 is pretty simple. You just have to avoid like some um, laser beamy things and then just like get him with his little pneumatic... Um, sort of like prod thingies just kind of go up and down really hard to explain that boss on in audio i'll be honest but um but then they bounce out in sonic 2 by making you fight basically an impossible <laughs> uh giant mech yeah i was gonna save him for a, a slightly later in the conversation Oh, okay well we can we can park that thought well no spoilers but he didn't make my list of the best bosses matthew i'll be honest um sonic <laughs> 2 uh mech motherfucker didn't make the list um so what do you think makes a good boss battle, Matthew? The kind of purest, most obvious version of this is, you know, it's like a big mechanical test. It's like where it takes everything that the game's about and steps it up a notch, you know. So that's, and, and that's, you know, games are obviously all about different things. So there's there's lots of different versions of this. More often than not, I think it's a test of mastery of like what that game's about. Maybe throws in some like wrinkles you haven't seen. It's often like the technical standout moment. It's, you know, whether that's because the boss is massive or you're just trying to put on a light show, but they everything kind of ramps up in that sense. And also, like, narratively, I guess, they're kind of key points because it's where the story tends to happen. It's like your reward for doing the level, isn't it? These things are, are truer of some games than others in, in, in ways. Yeah, so I broke it down to uh, three things, three what I think are three kind of cornerstones. I think it's a mix mm. of clever mechanics, uh, mm-hmm. framing, and spectacle. So mm. um, a good boss can get by on any of those alone if they're done really well, but a great boss usually has two of the three, I would say. So... Mechanics, of course, is something that kind of plays on your knowledge of the game and how you kind of use that knowledge of the game applied to an enemy, um, whether it's like how you kill it or how to use environment around it, something like that. Something that's like a slight spin on what you've played before. Framing is more about the kind of like um, lead up to a boss or the setting or how it's kind of placed in the story, I think. Like um, hmm. sometimes they're kind of like the knowledge that the boss is coming or like that it's, so- that it's something along the way or just like um, the kind of setting itself is um, is like a big part of it. And then the spectacle element, I think, is just like, what will the boss itself actually do that's kind of impressive? That ties into what you're saying about um, usually it's the technical standout. Um, I think that applies here where it's like, um, will the boss change into a second form that's really cool and really fucked up? Will this kind of like Mm. um, really kind of blow me away audio visually? And I think that those are the kind of those are the different things. And so it's funny because in my top five. Some of those have all three. Some of them just have two. None of them just have one, actually. But like, um, I think it's somewhere between those three is where um, where yeah. a great boss battle lies, you know? Yeah, when I said, like, you know, talking on a technical level, I guess, yeah, I should probably expand that to just general artistry as well because often, you know, bosses have the music that goes so hard and that's where, you know, the soundtracks, these things are really embedded in your skull. I was going to say, actually, when you, we were talking about the like first bosses that really messed us up another game which really sticks with me for this is uh quack shot on the mega drive right he's like indiana jones but he's donald duck um uh, and um don't know if we even got past the second boss uh, like a a big fat tiger that looked like sheer khan right and when it jumped you had to shoot and shoot upwards to hit its belly you should find the quack shot boss medley on youtube 
and it's just funny seeing lots of people at the moment talk about like Elden Ring and From Software, and they they often bring up the music. They're like, "Oh, this character's theme, like when he when he like steps it up a notch, it becomes the ultimate game theme tune." And nothing in that game is as scary to me as the music that plays when I'm trying to shoot a uh, Shere Khan in his tummy <laughs> in Quatshot. It's just got like the Mega Drive sound chip. What they have to play with has just got a very old evil sounding tone to it yeah i think sound is like a, a really key part of it particularly with like earlier games take something like links awakening for example which has that boss scene that goes da 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 and then like um meanwhile every time you hit the enemy it goes like that and like the combination of those sounds and then the do 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 where your tiny link just gets absolutely fucked up like that combination of sounds is like responsible for most of the drama in those bosses because yeah. you know it's just a little sprite or like an eyeball it, on the screen or whatever you know if i was ever really stuck on a boss fight I, the first thing i'd do is just mute it and just try and play it in silence because so much of the soundtrack is about like yeah raising your pulse stressing you out and it's you know the test of a lot of boss fights is just being calm and and not letting your brain freak out even though the game's doing everything in its power to say you should be scared you should be freaking out it's a giant snake it's going faster and faster it's probably not going faster just the music is yeah um and you screw yourself over old zelda does a lot of that stuff yeah for sure um so uh, i guess like another question along these lines of matthews what do you think makes a bad boss battle a fight which like doesn't follow the rules of the game or, or like introduces something that you just can't get your head around where the good boss fight is sort of the ultimate test and kind of brings everything together these ones sort of go in a different direction i mean the really obvious example here is like um Ex human revolution hmm. you know you spend that game playing as you want and the game is celebrated that and it celebrates you for playing how you want uh, and it gets these boss fights which in its original form didn't have a kind of stealth approaches you know it forced out and out combat in a game where you could potentially have not engaged with any out and out combat cheap is the word where it doesn't feel like you've got any chance or it doesn't feel like it's it's playing fair or that you have the the tools you need to kind of deal with something i guess then the other thing as well is like like there's a lot of bad etiquette around boss battles given that they are difficulty spikes and this is more to do with them as difficulty spikes than inherently as boss battles if you know someone's going to be replaying something a lot because it's hard not making them sit through cutscenes beforehand or not making them replay a great stretch of the game to get to it and have one shot of dying but that isn't so much about the fight that's more about how you kind of place the fight in the game what i noted here is that like bad boss battles tend to be where the game has spent its own internal logic around the need to have a boss battle so mm. i think what you say about one-off mechanics is a good point like um your uncharted boss fights and the like mm. very very obvious example of this um and like uh, right up to Uncharted 4, which had the old kind of sword combat thing that wasn't in the rest of the game. It just kind of is where the game falls down a little bit. The kind of classic example of like a, a game bending its own internal logic and rules around the need to have a boss battle. The concept of a boss battle is Bioshock, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's like the game was quite was relatively low key for what it was. And then you have to fight like this superhero type man at the end. And it's just kind of preposterous and not particularly satisfying and like um undermines atlas as the villain in that game because otherwise he's such a good threatening villain yeah yeah that was weird that's tough <laughs> but then another one is um bioshock infinite's lady comstock fight at the end we just shooting that ghost over and over again and it's just like <laughs> antithetical to what else that game did very very well 
Deus Ex Human Revolution is another example of this. Even the original Deus Ex had bosses, though, like technically, like um, uh, Gunther and Anne Navarra from um, uh, Unatco, like those agents who come after you. Um, mm. You um, you have, you know, one way to kill them is just to absolutely, like, uh, lob, like, grenades at them and to just shoot them um, endlessly until they explode. Now, mm. the other thing is, of course, this is Deus Ex, so you can actually type in a kill switch to um, take down both of them. Which is when mm. they um, added the director's cut stuff to Human Revolution, they went in and added like conversation options to do the bosses, which is like a nice way of kind of like putting it a bit more towards that Deus Ex kind of kind of thing. But that's it, I think. Mm. It's where the game logic feels a bit too warped to accommodate a boss fight. That's where like mm. they fall down, where it's like, you know, I feel like you are conscious of the idea that you need a boss fight, and so you've made the game, you've just taken the game too far from what it's good at to make it work, you know. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I, incidentally, I see so many people celebrate role-playing games where they have, like, the talk option. Right. But at the same time, that is quite anticlimactic way to finish a game where you just go in and, like, tell a mad computer to kill itself or something. Good on me, I guess, for getting my stats up that high. <laughs> like, there still has to be some kind of challenge. The idea of just pressing a dialogue choice and then the game kind of completes itself because you invested enough in charisma or whatever that appears in a lot of pc gaming lists yeah things like fallout or uh even the outer worlds recently outer worlds mm-hmm. whichever one isn't the galaxy time travel one um, <laughs> yeah outer worlds yeah but to me that, that that kind of stuff leaves me cold it's like quite dweeby that it works but it i don't know that feels more like an easter egg than something i actually want to be doing i'm with you on the overly hard thing as well i think that that a difficulty spike that makes you think what's the point is kind of like just um a real bummer especially when it feels out of whack with the rest of the um game experience so one example i pulled out of this is a game i otherwise love um which is ftl um where at the end of the right. game you have to fight this uh, rebel flagship and it's like a spaceship with like multiple chunks of it basically you have to shoot off and destroy and like i never even on easy mode i never ever finished it and i just thought it was way too harsh for what it was. Um, right. If you can't finish it on easy mode, that boss is probably too hard. And I played that game for about 100 hours. So I oh, don't know. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, I th- that's kind of, that kind of bums me out. Because I, I think I'm like, I don't, don't think I'm amazing at games. So I think I'm reasonably good. And so I, I felt like I was never even close to being powered enough to get there. Once I got there, my ship was quite badly damaged from going through eight worlds of like random events and spaceship battles. And then it's like, you don't get to the end and it's a super empowering moment. You get to the end and it's like, well, my a thing that's basically held together with duct tape is about to be blown out of the stars by like this gigantic spaceship. Oh well, right. better start another run. And like, um, it's funny because they got be- they don't um, they do have a, a, a sort of boss of sorts in the, the follow up game into the breach, but it's fairly easy to beat on easy mode. And um, mm. there's a like a reward. There's a kind of continuous story element to into the loop, into the breach. Sorry, into the breach. Into the breach yeah. <laughs> um, there's a there's a reward for doing that. You send like another pilot to another timeline to help them fight the monsters there, and it kind of like loops quite mm. nicely. And that's better than just giving people a boss that they're stumped on, and they kind of might go away from the game thinking it's a shame i can never see the end of this game that i otherwise love you know i guess like in people's in in designers heads there's some attractiveness to the idea of a absolutely split second breathless like photo finish where you just get it across the line and you know the the sense of relief would be so massive that you'd come away and this would be one of your most cherished gaming memories of all times but the balancing act to that is 
you know, it's difficult. If if you get it wrong, you're just going to really, really upset people. Like I've played, it's not not video game, but I mean, I've played the board game of um, Battlestar Galactica mm. a few times, and. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played the board game of Battlestar Galactica. No, I haven't, actually. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so it's, so it's like the show. You're just part of the fleet, and you're trying to escape Cylons to find like a new Earth or a new home for humanity. The fundamental aim of the game is to get to a get to a certain destination or uh, i don't think it's like survive x turns i think it is like you jump between planets on every turn or something but you have like cylons in pursuit and there are also sort of cylons embedded in your team and they're sort of selected by secret at the start it's really good it really captures the like excitement of um you know who's a Cylon of the early seasons without going into all the kind of weird sort of religious bullshit final five bullshit yeah <laughs> it's like oh no I just drew the final five card it's going to throw the entire game into disarray and make it not very fun for three seasons <laughs> well it does reveal more secret Cylons as the game goes on right right so it, it follows some of that well it's good because you could have elected someone like president of earth and then they turn out to be a Cylon and then they basically just like crash Battlestar into the sun (laughs) and you're like well great (laughs) that was on us but that I've lost every time I've played utterly because the silence can just absolutely like they can do so much to sort of sabotage the ship it's really really hard to win but one time we won on like one final like roll of the dice where you basically just gamble everything on like a last ditch attempt Hmm. and I remember after that thinking oh if there was a game that could capture that sensation of like this is it it's all or nothing I'm putting everything on the line here and it just worked but the downside to that is it's like balancing something like that would proved so difficult and most people would just end in such tear-streaked frustration (laughs) yeah i saw like another boss i'm not very fond of that was that kind of just had that vibe was the final boss of metal gear rising revengeance which is how's that music playing in the background that's the like um nano machine son guy i believe um yeah and i just strong fuck that guy yeah that's just like a it's just it's really bad and it's kind of a shame because from platinum who you know, have made very good bosses in the past, but like um, sometimes his bosses can just be like a headache and an endless sort of struggle. It's, and like it's, um, he's yeah. held up as like a legit great boss as well. I don't get that. I don't really think any of the bosses in that game are memorable. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I was not not yeah. into his whole vibe. He's ever like uh, you know I was doing lots of research for this just to sort of see what other people are into and you know what kind of stuff kind of appeared again and again and he is regularly up there and at first they thought oh it's because it's a meme because of the nano machine sun and all that but actually no people are like oh it's this really mechanically interesting it's like the ultimate test it's like it's absolutely dire that's one of the few games I've reviewed where I remember sitting there going. Every time I die in this boss, I take off a percent of the score. Right. Every single time, until we get down to what this game fundamentally is. Yeah. I hated I hated the end of that game. I th- It's Plat- Platinum's worst last boss by an absolute mile. I-, I would also argue as well, there's something about the mechanics of that game, like this, the cutting up stuff, that suits regular enemies more than it suits bosses. And that, yeah. ha- that happens sometimes. But like um, something like Bayonetta, I would argue, is actually kind of perfect at balancing it. Um, it's like... The skill set you have is well suited to every enemy you find in the game. Whereas, like I say, I think the appeal of like slicing an enemy up and ripping out that blue thing from inside them is kind of what the loop of Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is. Mm. And like, it's not really about 
amazing combos and like that that side of it that super skilled loads of upgrades side of it where you customize your fighting style it's a bit more just like i don't know i felt i just didn't get any joy from those bosses which is and which is the opposite of how i feel about metal gear bosses and the opposite of how i feel about platinum bosses generally so Hmm. yeah i agree with you i think that's like a good example of like a failure um Matthew, are there any iconic boss battles that didn't make your best list that you want to discuss? Anything you kind of like remember as being notable growing up playing games? Ones that's kind of stick in your memory? Uh, and these are different from our honourable mentions. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a few here that I just I don't need to put in honourable mentions, but I thought I'd kind of mention as notable. You know, uh, I haven't got any No More Heroes bosses in my list. Yeah, same. I do really like them. I think what No More Heroes does really well, and I think it's the that thing you talked about, it's that's more of a triumph of framing. Yeah. Like, the, the boss fights feel really important because the whole story is about working towards the boss fights. You know, you play through the level and then you kind of walk up a kind of corridor towards the boss room and you get a phone call, you know, through the remote on when you were playing the Wii version um, from Sylvia Christel, who then gives you, like, a hype speech and tries to kind of get you excited for the boss fight. You know, she says, you're going to enter the Garden of Madness and all this kind of stuff. That's a perfect example, I think, where, like, the, the framing... And the anticipation is maybe slightly better than the actual fights. <laughs> they're, they're still good, and, and and they've got lots of wrinkles and twists. Like they're they're good, they're good fights for like turning the formula on its head, but not in an unfair way. I just don't think maybe because that game is like mechanically relatively simple. Like it can never really take off like a platinum game. Say okay, yeah, that's um, I think I agree with that. Like uh, I think uh, yeah, like this. Uh, that has like two of the three it has framing and spectacle i would say no more heroes mm. but not clever mechanics i would say the no more heroes 3 has some bosses which are like completely outside of kind of combat there has one which is like just a game of musical chairs which i really liked mm. again it's not very deep and it's not like mechanically satisfying but as like a joke it's you know it made me laugh and it made me excited to see what the next joke was going to be so they kind of worked as part of the bigger piece, maybe rather than as individual boss battles. Yeah, I thought I'd drop in um, Metal Gear's conceptual boss fights here. So the Pain and Psycho Mantis. Um, uh, Fortune, I guess, as well counts here. These are boss fights that I think are like notable and worth discussing, but not necessarily good. Mm. Or like maybe uh, good is the wrong word. Like they're, they're impressive, but they're not traditional boss fights i guess i wouldn't put any of them in my top five versus like a boss fight that uses more of the game's normal mechanics um right so that's where um yeah again like it's framing and spectacle to an extent is a big part of that fortune's got this big electric gun and she's shooting shit you can't do any damage to her but the bullets fly around her um, and it's quite cool to kind of watch it all play out. Psycho Mantis, of course, the framing is amazing. There's a kind of really spooky music that plays before you meet him. He appears pre- previously in the game. You you see him very briefly in like a corridor. Um, uh, first time you meet Meryl. And then so when he comes along later on, starts doing the memory card reading stuff. The kind of build-up's been there. And the the kind of like, yeah, the framing is just perfect. Like he just, he's spooky. He's weird. Um, It's like perfectly done. I don't even remember that actual fight. Like what the fight is with him. I just remember the framing of it. He's like, <laughs> this is the thing. He kind of just lobs some chairs at you, if I recall. Um, And then you have to switch <laughs> the controller over because you can read your every move and all that stuff but it's a lot oh, of chair a lot of chair lobbing if i recall correctly and <laughs> he's basically just a yakuza hero <laughs> <laughs> and 
and like book lobbing as well. Plus he'll um he'll you have to keep knocking um Meryl out because she um will get up and then start shooting at you. So you have to kind of non lethally put Meryl down to to <laughs> to finish the boss. Um yeah. So it's it's well done. It's really clever, but wouldn't be one of my favourites, I guess. Not versus some of the mm. others in the Metal Gear series, but I guess what I'm saying is I acknowledge they're clever and iconic without feeling the need to recognise them any further. Mm. I also put the um, boss... Uh, I think Final Fantasy has some, like, bad-end bosses or, like, cheap bosses. I think of Jekt in Final Fantasy X, who's powered up by these, like... Um, you meet him inside Sin, which is quite... A, that's, like... The framework is amazing in that one because you're inside this giant, like, time-travelling whale thing. And there's like the visage of the lost city of Zanakin that was destroyed a thousand years ago in there. And this guy, uh, you know, who's kind of like basically tied to this kind of like mythical monster um, is basically waiting in there to be killed by you, his son. And it's kind of like messed. And so that as a framework is really successful. But the boss is like this big demon-y thing with a giant sword. It gets powered up by these pillar things that keep coming back to life after you destroy them. And it just like the last time I did it, I was like, I fucking hate this boss. This is like the worst um, mm. And so there's a few like that. Ultimecia in um, Final Fantasy VIII is kind of a bullshit boss. I think I only beat that because there was a glitch when I played the game, and Ultimecia for some reason wouldn't attack Zell ever. So I just had Zell spam his like melee overdrives, his limit breaks over and over again till it was dead, and it took about 45 minutes. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, Final Fantasy has some has some sort of bad ones. So yeah, it's um, I don't know. I kind of want to discuss those because they seem like significant bosses in games when I was growing up. Some of the bosses in Jedi Knight, the lightsaber battles, they're not in my list, but particularly in Jedi Outcast and um, Jedi Academy, they managed to make the boss characters really, really good. The lightsaber jewels felt really convincing and stuff. But um, mm. yeah, those are the ones I wanted to note ahead of um, our top fives, Matthew. But mm. um, here's something I wanted to ask. Do you think boss battles still have a place in modern games like more broadly? I hope they do, for one. I think because... You know, one of the pillars of a good boss battle is spectacle. It'd be sad to let them fade away at a time where we have machines and artists and artistry capable of using those machines. You can make, like, mad things happen. Like, I almost feel like there is some... not It's almost like embarrassment about boss fights at certain studios. Like, certain people almost think they're above the boss fight now, that it's a bit too kind of trashy, it's a bit too much of a hangover from the kind of you know 80s 90s it's a bit it's a bit kirby you know and what they're trying to do is like serious storytelling and so that's where we get all the games that kind of end on slightly like dour quiet notes the fact that people don't really go mad at the end you know that it's rarer these days i think that people do you know from the perspective of wanting to see like what modern tech can do for boss fights like i certainly want that like i you know there are obviously exceptions there's there's enough big first party franchises which have bosses built into their dna like god of war or tons of nintendo series that i think they still be re- well represented yeah i think it's um you maybe see bosses less in western games now than you used to um mm. but there are definitely exceptions to that um and besides like i think the really important factor here is that from software have ensured that bosses aren't going anywhere like you might yeah. argue that before in that kind of window of the late noughties before Dark Souls, there was a, a, a period of time where they were maybe getting a lot of flack for stuff like, uh, you know, the Pope fight in Assassin's Creed 2 or the end, right. end boss in Bioshock, um, uh, Bioshock, where maybe the alternative they were pivoting towards was some kind of like mega cluster of enemies at the end um, instead of like, mm. and like, and maybe like one 
story character you kill as opposed to one boss with a giant health bar who does loads of bullshit AoE attacks. Um, mm. So I think they were maybe under threat for a while, but I think that FromSoft have basically ensured that bosses will never not be in games now. They're just mm. like, because those games are so influential. But if you even if you look at something like Fury, um, a game made by a French studio, that is a whole game of bosses, very successful game that, um, kind of like a mix of Ikaruga and Devil May Cry sort of game. I'm sure a lot of people had that on PS Plus. Um, and um, I, I must admit, yeah. I do like my bosses to be split up with a little bit of something. Yeah, the whole like this game is bosses only. Like, I love bosses, but that doesn't particularly speak to me. You know, I, I love them in the context of bigger stories and as like things that you escalate towards, or like how they fit in the game is quite important to me. So you know, Fury. I must admit, I haven't finished Fury, but you know, I like you know, I like I liked what I played enough. But at the same time, I thought oh, it's a little bit. It's almost like a little bit one note, even though those single notes are just you know big awesome boss fight after awesome boss fight. Yeah, um, a balanced diet, I guess. Yeah, it's quite. Um, I think it's quite novel to have a whole game that commits to that as its idea, and like mm. it sort of does the No More Heroes thing of having them all be like these um, slightly different personality type people mm. who, um, and like the, the spectacle is a big part of it because it's a very very colourful game. It was just a really interesting take on. Uh, that sort of thing. I agree that not every game it would suit. And like sometimes uh, there are games I really love that still sabotage themselves with bosses a little bit. So I thought of um, Jedi Fallen Order as a game that has bosses I don't really like. So yeah. while I think the story that is attached to some of those bosses is really good, particularly with the end boss in that game, not the end end boss, people who play the game know what I'm talking about there, but the um, quote unquote end boss is like a really interesting, important character who's tied to um, to your story as a character and um, the other characters in the game. Um, but the lightsaber battles were very frustrating and a very much a sense of can I guess what animation this will be? And it may be just being a touch too tricky for me to like always preempt what's going to happen next and like a bit of Dark mm. Souls influence rubbing off in a game where I otherwise kind of loved the experience, but maybe the bosses didn't totally click for me. You know, did you get that experience from that one? Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree with that. I mean. I will say Dark Souls and From Software is like a big hole in my list. That's because I haven't played a lot of them and I haven't got very far with a lot of them. I love the boss designs. I love the music and I love the framing of From Software bosses. But outside of Sekiro, like mechanically, I'm, I'm not as much into Like they feel more like a little kind of like shapeless, I guess, because they're designed for so many different potential characters to come and fight them they just feel like they're there doing their thing and i don't feel like i'm particularly in a intense one-on-one fight i'm just dodging and rolling everywhere compared to platinum say a you know a boss in platinum is so built around what a platinum hero can do specifically and it's built to be a duel between these two very clear like move sets where i think from software stuff they're a bit like well here's these bosses and some of these fights are going to feel great because you happen to have the right kind of move set or weapons or you've kind of the right stats for this particular thing and some of them are going to feel rotten or at least that's my experience in elden ring where you know a couple of bosses i've absolutely whomped and had a great time some of them have just ground me into dust again and again and made me feel quite bad about myself yeah it's funny because um elden ring changes up the formula slightly in that there are bosses in that game that feel like they're tutorials more than anything um or they're like mm. baby bosses to get you ready for eventual bosses that's at mm. least the, the case in like Limgrave at the start where you're um you know you've got this like fairly gentle map relative to some of the areas of the rest of the game um but even so they'll do things like have what are clearly optional bosses dotted around the place and 
it can be quite brutal as a new player to learn what is supposed to be an optional boss in um, a From game and what is supposed to be a, like a mandatory boss. Um, mm. And like, it's funny in this, in most games, they are like mandatory bosses because they are like along the critical path. So you have to fight them in order to progress. So it's a bit more straightforward. But in Elden Ring, yeah, a complete, a, a lot more ambiguous, I would say. You can just be going through like a relatively easy landscape and a dragon that can fuck you up in one hit happens to be there. But everything else you can kind of deal with. So that's mm. interesting. Interesting to see them expand that formula a little bit. And then there'll just be bosses mm. you just don't remotely understand that are optional. I've had that in Bloodborne a few times where it's just like, I don't know, there'll just be a, a character I'm just nowhere near equipped for. And I'm like, can't quite puzzle out in my head what the structure of the map is in the game. And I don't know if they're optional or not. And... Yeah, yeah, it's um, like, it's tricky. Like, but. I think the bosses of of theirs that I do like are probably gimmicky bosses, which I imagine the fans aren't as into. Mm-hmm. Have you done Evil Hogwarts yet in Elden Ring? No, I'm still there in the old, uh, <laughs> in my old kind of hiatus on um, Elden Ring. That's I mean, without giving away, the the boss of that area almost has like a sort of puzzle phase, uh, like two phases, and the first half is almost like a sort of puzzle. You have to you know you're looking for a particular thing in order to kind of hurt it and then the second half is more of a this now you're actually fighting this thing proper and you know i quite liked the first half because i was like oh okay this is you know there's a very clear focus here i have a very specific aim i'm not just trying to do damage i'm trying to target this and avoid these attacks at the same time and it was it's just very clear cut but the read i get is that actually the 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 from hardcore are like less into into that kind of more sort of funneled experience yeah that kind of makes sense like um another boss that could be described that way from a from game is like the um folding screen monkeys in um sekiro so um they are um i think like three or four little monkeys in robes hang out in this area um they are the guardian of children who have passed the afterlife and you go around murdering them which is brutal when i told my girlfriend that she was like not happy that that's the thing i was doing um but the whole thing with those just lie yeah, why don't you just say like they're they're horrible monkeys? They like pickpocketed some people or something, <laughs> or they're the monkeys that that uh, steal wing mirrors at Longley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would have really appreciated that cultural reference. Um, yeah, so uh, basically, like one of them's got a pair of glasses as well. It's really adorable, and you're just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill these on purpose in order to like <laughs> do some nasty shit um, involving some yeah weird uh, Japanese demony monster historical things. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so those are interesting because one of them's like one of them can't see you and I think one of them has got or like one's got amazing sight and one's got like amazing hearing and like um, and one uh, they, they've all kind of got like a different sense that's amplified so one you kind of have to trap into like a, a dark room where it can't see you and the other one you have to like basically like um, pull a rope and let kind of like a waterfall pour through like one of the buildings and then trap it in there and like it's about <laughs> You know, again, it's not really about the the um, the combat side. You can't be killed in that unless you kind of fall off a cliff too many times, which you're unlikely to do. Right. But it's fucking hard to track down those monkeys, man. They're really fast. So <laughs> um, you can kind of try and biff it and like cut them off when they're dashing across across rooftops, but it's not a very successful approach. And the puzzle approach really works. And I think those are good boss fights, Matthew, because they do offer a break from the more trad boss fights. That's clearly why yeah. they're there, right? It's like a pacing thing. I have more experience with Sekiro, but I've not got beyond the halfway point. Um, mouth mouthful of Rennie. 
Yes. Well, you know, I'm just. I know this is a Patreon episode, so I've got to make sure I deliver all the hits. Well, that's it. Yeah. Plus, uh, plus, you're getting paid for those ready now, so you got to like, you know, got to chow yeah. down. I've got. I'll get. I'll hopefully have a, a yeah, bit a few more Rennie funds going forward, <laughs> so I can eat them more readily. They don't just have to be a rare medicinal <laughs> treat. Um, they're in um, Sekiro. There's the uh, that chap on the bridge who you basically just have to push off the bridge. Like, I don't think you can kill him any other way. And then he sort of yelled, does he yell his name? He's got like a funny name. Like he goes, Sir Richard or something. <laughs> yeah, he's like some knight or something. But he's still a motherfucker. He can absolutely fuck you up, you know. Yeah, but it's like a sort of tug of war fight or, uh, is how I remember it. Yeah. You kind of hit him. Subs- and, and he sort of gets pushed back every time you hit him. And you just have to like knock him into a big hole. Yeah, it's a tough break for him, really. But like, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that that one is memorable because he does like, yell a load of shit. And I think he is just like <laughs> meant to be a normal dude who happens to be a big have a have a big sword. So mm. yeah, um, I, they like uh, they like the odd conceptual battle. I'm sure there are more that I'm not remembering from Sekiro, but like those are the ones that kind of spring to mind. Um, so yeah, those are those are kind of like some um, overall thoughts, Matthew. Any more kind of like general thoughts on boss battles? Here's something I wanted to ask you actually: QTE boss battles are they good? Is Krauser in Resident Evil Four a good boss battle? Maybe it becomes harder with time because QTEs are so uh, kind of commonplace and people are getting a bit sick of them. But back then, you know, here's a game which has a few QTEs up until that point, and the idea of like a boss fight built around them entirely is just. I don't know, it's quite exciting at the time. Like, I, I, you know, hard to kind of reset my brain, I guess. Like, when I first played that, I was just like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm pulling off moves and I'm getting to see stuff normally you'd only get to see in a cutscene, and it kind of still is that, but there's, like, an illusion of you being involved, and that's kind of enough for me. Yeah. Like, if the cho- if the choice was between quick-time events and no quick-time events, but we also lost, like, the mad scale and the mad ambition then i'd be sad like i don't want to see a quick time event for just like punching a man in the face yeah but if the quick time event is there's like a buddha the size of the moon trying to crush you like <laughs> in um azura's wrath and you're tapping a to kind of like push his thumb away from earth or whatever you're right yeah. then i'm like yeah 100 percent. like i'm glad this exists <laughs> Um, like I'd be, I. Why? Who wouldn't be? Yeah, I think um, I would argue in the Resi Force case, like the um, all the Krauser QTEs in that game are the best QTEs, and I would argue of all the things to like represent in like in-game gameplay, a knife fight is a knife duel is probably the hardest. So yeah. there's a logic to using QTEs. So yeah, like from a cinematic perspective, having a few more like moves or interesting things to play with that you haven't kind of fully realized as mechanics yeah i'm I'm on board with that like i'd say a, a lot of my choices have like a qtl element to them um well some of them do anyway yeah i'm definitely not embarrassed about that stuff well i think it ties into what i was saying as well about like you know um it's it's about like clever mechanics framing or spectacle so you can easily get the last two in there very well with a qt boss fight yeah um, that's not a problem so yeah while you might argue a qt is not a clever mechanic like um if it enables those other two and creates like a good feeling in the player it's um arguably still worth it for sure people are doing interesting stuff in the space as well you know there are things which basically are qtes but they're beyond just pressing a button you know like the the pistol getting pushed across the ground towards you at the end of modern warfare mm. and you shooting the guy like that's basically a qte but it's within the mechanics of the game but you know you're so limited that you can only do one thing like uncharted's done that a few times naughty dog do that you know in in various games and 
the idea of like let's just super focus in on like one action for the sake of something incredibly cool like i'm 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 down with that too yeah i think they repeat the same trick in modern warfare 2 where um you pull the knife out of uh, yourself and then throw it at the um at that dude um at the end of yeah. that mad rhythm and at the time chase. you're like this is fucking amazing i'm so cool but yeah. then you realize like it's played out the same way for everyone but it- whatever it's quite telling though that like um when it comes to 2016 and titanfall 2 you don't have any qtes in it if i recall correctly you just maybe like a couple involving the robot but i don't think there's any like boss battles or anything like that and yeah um by then it's kind of fell out of fashion you know um yeah 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 it's interesting i think it's just like um a case of like uh maybe they had their day and people were like well a cutscene will suffice and we'll just make the in-game action uh, more palatable but yeah Good stuff. Any more straight thoughts on boss fights, Matthew, or should we get into our respective top fives? Let's get into our top fives. Cool. Let's take a quick break then, and we'll come back with our top fives, just like I said. Welcome back to the podcast, the best boss battles. So, me and Matthew each have a top five here of the best boss battles. We've been super uh, selective, but I think we've got interesting things to say about each one. I've got quite a few notes here for mine, for mine, um, and then there's a bunch of honourable mentions at the end. So, um, Matthew, shall I go first here? Yeah, kick off. Okay, so um, I've picked the Owl brackets father from um, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. Um, here's why I like this boss. So, Sekiro has loads of bosses, so I was I was letting a few scrap out for this. The true answer would probably be um, Genichiro Ashina, the um, first major like um, sword duel in the game that truly teaches you the mechanics. AKA the end of the game for me. <laughs> <laughs> A great, great boss. You know, uses the in-game mechanics very well. Framing on top of that tower, amazing. Spectacle, because he starts lobbing fucking spells at you in the second phase of the boss fight. Um, has, has it all, I would argue. This one I've picked because it represents, I think, like... It's like the final challenge of the game because you need to um, do the steps to unlock the good ending of the game in order to even see this. So it's quite interesting, but the owl in the game is basically your character's father. A big part of Sekiro's story at the start is like a flashback to a very key evening where some events happened and um, led to to where you are now. When you first do this flashback sequence, the entire sequence, it turns out that your character's misremembering it. And it's only through doing these steps to unlock the true ending that you remember what really happened that night. And that night ended with you dueling your father in a location um, where you had previously fought another boss in the um, other timeline version of it. So you need to do these certain steps to unlock it. So I could only do it on a new game plus. And so when I encountered um, this, this boss character, who does appear as a regular boss in every playthrough, but this is like a secret version that's like deadlier, faster and yeah like a much much greater challenge um mm. it kind of it, it seemed amazing and i think i really love the kind of like thematic element of like the final challenge in the game is like defeating your father completely kind of like uh, not holding back and like it's just a, a, a duel to the death in this location you thought you knew so well mm. so yeah that's kind of why i picked it matthew i think it's like i like the idea that the true game experience technically ends halfway through the second playthrough um because you can do this and then the game is still not finished but um one thing i also really like is when you beat him 
um he gives you the line um defeated by my own son the feeling is not entirely unpleasant and that's what he says as he disappears and oh, i just oh that's nice yeah i just really i really dug it as it was like the idea of like we'll take an existing boss and make him a fuck ton harder like the ultimate challenge in the game so you kind of understand some principles of how he works but not all of them in a location you've been to before and felt like you knew really well and it's a whole hidden part of the game you had to go out of your way to unlock so as optional yeah. content goes this is up there i think um any thoughts on this one once you've done him do you then go off and still have to finish the rest of the game or is it like credits roll no you have to finish the rest of the game so you gotta go and kill those monkeys again <laughs> uh yes i can't remember the exact order of it because it kind that of... sounds like a big come down after this amazing sounding ultimate boss <laughs> <laughs> um the thing that's like even there's even like a third version of this boss that you fight at the top of the tower at a certain point in the game yeah you do have to go off because if you want the true ending um to the game which is a very minor difference to the actual ending i would say in terms of like actual story content you do you do have to go and finish it after this but you'll be so good at the game by this point that nothing will stop you that's part of the reward of playing this boss it's like I've done this so I can do anything. Like, nothing will stop me now. And that's exactly how I felt after playing this bit in Sekiro. It's like a reward for, like, my, my skill in the game, you know? Um, what is is the fight, is it like a sort of Genichiro type? Is it just like a real straight-up sword-on-sword fight to the death? Yeah, it is. He's, like, a bit more brute force. Uh, he does a bit more kind of brute force, has a few more, like, has, like, a projectile attack you have to deal with. But, like, he is he is basically, like... He sort of like kind of thumps his way towards you and then it's just like it's just very very deadly and it's like the setting of it's really cool i don't know if you did you kill um i think she called like lady butterfly or something oh yeah, yeah. she's in that room with like the pillars yeah it's that room um oh, okay. so you're fighting him in that room and like um yeah like i say he your your character um he misremembers uh what the uh what the events were of that evening so it's like you're seeing the real version and not like the what his distorted memories are telling you i really love that idea i do like the idea of like holding back some big boss treats for a replay the kind of remixed boss obviously thematically very very different uh to sekiro but like that's a big kirby trope as well yeah Uh, we talked about that in the kirby episode uh, last week that one of the big rewards for kind of playing the game on hard mode is playing like ultra wispy woods um this guy sounds like the ultra wispy woods <laughs> of Sekiro yeah another nice touch <laughs> about this remix version of that level that flashback level is there are characters who didn't have lines of dialogue before who do have lines of dialogue and tell you more about what's actually going on in the story at that point oh, right. um so it's like a big dude you fight outside the lady butterfly thing it's like a, just a giant a giant dude there and he talks whereas he didn't talk the first time you played through it and like so you can overhear a conversation he's having and i just thought that kind of detail just the idea that like oh his memories have like unclouded and he now remembers what actually happened it's just a great kind of notion and it's basically like yeah. this this king being betrayed by his own people and then you the character being left for dead it's like really really good um yeah that yeah. is great i love that uh he remembers and what he remembers is a really nasty boss fight <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, which he'd been doing fucking for hours out and on, on end prior to that anyway. But, how the uh, hell did he forget this amazing boss fight if it's that cool? <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so yes, that's my first one. The Owl Father in uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, an all-time favourite oh, of uh, Big Sammy. I've got to finish this game at some point. I've got to get past that freaking halfway boss because I was watching... Uh, like I, I actually haven't watched anything in the game beyond that point up until recording for this episode. Right, right. Like I decided to actually look at some stuff because I'd heard people talk about like a big gorilla and you kind of chop its head off and then it comes back to life. Yeah. That is so fucking eerie when that happens. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, really bad vibes. Oh. So I, I, I don't know if I'll ever get to it, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of glad I've seen what it looks like. Oh yeah, that gor- <laughs> that gorilla is really uh, like. Do you know the tragic truth behind that gorilla? I won't spoil it if you don't know, but there is like <laughs> you go behind a waterfall, I think it is, and there is like. Uh, but I shouldn't spoil it for you because it's so sad. No, tell, is it? Is it Donkey Kong? <laughs> I will say this is like a, a. I guess I have spoiled a boss there from Sekiro, but I don't think it's like that big a deal because you probably won't know what's going on in this story anyway for anything like me. But right, um, this this is a bit more easy to understand. So skip forward a little bit if you haven't um, uh, played Sekiro and you want to play it after playing Elden Ring. But basically, the ape had been like um, there's like a single flower inside this cave where there's like a tiny bit crack of sunlight coming through and the flower is growing this ape was like alone and kind of like screaming in this valley because it was it wanted to find a mate and it was growing the flower for a mate but then the mate never came and he became infected by this terrible kind of parasite where like you cut its head off and it's been completely controlled by this like monstrous like plant thing inside it and it's like quite sad it's like this ape this ape just wanted to not be alone but instead it's just died this awful tragic death while you've been slicing its head off um oh man that's just ain't that just the human condition (laughs) yeah exactly a nice remix to the donkey kong story um yeah (laughs) so um he just wanted pauline's love (laughs) I meant to say um, King Kong, not Donkey Kong. Amazing. Okay, so what's your first one, Matthew? I've grouped them together, which is the the, the sort of the two handed fight at the end of Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker, which is Puppet Ganon and Ganondorf. I I think they are sort of two phases of a boss fight because there's nothing you can really do between them, um, and they're tied together with a cutscene. So in my head, you know, these games, Zelda games, famously end with these these Ganon encounters. What I like about this one is that you fight this giant sort of Ganon puppet, uh, which takes on various animal forms, which kind of ticks the beast form box. And then you fight the more traditional sort of form of, of, of Ganondorf himself as a man, and you get to finish him off that way. I was really umming and ahhing about Zelda, because I feel like the bosses are a really important part of the series, but individually they're they're quite hard to kind of take apart, because they've also sort of formulaic in that they're more like puzzle encounters than, than combat encounters. Mm. You know, famously in Zelda games, you do a dungeon, you get a new item in the dungeon, and then that item is the key to kind of opening up their boss's weak spot to the point that they don't really feel like sort of fights and they are impressive and they are spectacular and they're framed in a fun way in that you're working towards the boss door with the boss key and that's that's quite exciting there's there's a real anticipation of like what every boss is going to be in those games but i find the actual the the, pu- the puzzle element of them is is what sort of holds them back for me a little bit i was tempted to include i think it's called stalfos it's like the big boss that you fight with the spinner disc in twilight princess right we basically like grind away at its spine and then spin around the room like it's like got a huge scale to it. it's really exciting to look at but mechanically not a huge amount going on into it so I've, I've gone with this one which is actually probably like a pretty straightforward fight the puppet uh is like a riff on some other wind waker bosses in that you have to cut its strings with the boomerang which is a bit like the plant boss in wind waker and then it falls down and you have to shoot light arrows into like this giant uh, ball on it it's got three animal forms it turns from like a boar to like a spider and ends up as a kind of snake which feels like a nice little throwback to the horrible snake boss in uh, Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, um, which I swear we've talked about on this 
this podcast before. Yeah. The incredibly cursed snake, whose movement is just hard enough to judge. You know, he's there's something kind of random about him that he's a very very stressful customer. Yeah. So you fight this sort of giant puppet, and then you take to uh, fighting Ganondorf, and I think it's probably one of the more successful like cinematic moments in Zelda. Uh, you're in this arena which is surrounded by cascading water because basically the sea is flooding into sunken Hyrule uh, where the fight sort of takes place. So you're in this arena with all this like mad water gushing around you, which with Wind Waker's anime style is just a really striking place for a fight. I love the actual visual Ganondorf design in this, like the anime kind of Ganondorf with his big long kind of sort of kimono and his very sharp features, just a very striking character and the fight you have with him is, is you know, it's kind of just a, a straight-up sword fight, while Zelda peppers him with light arrows from afar, so you kind of tag-team him. You don't control her at all. The only real, like, interaction you have is right at the end, she asks you to hold up your shield so she can bounce her arrow from the shield into him. Then it ends with this, uh, I think, spectacularly violent moment in a Zelda game where you sort of jump and sort of bury the sword into his head, and it's not like blood sprays out, but it's a, a really horrible image, very striking image of just sort of Ganondorf's sort of frozen body with Link just sort of like clus- holding the Master Sword while it's like buried in his skull. And it's like, for me, like still the sort of definitive Zelda ending, I guess, which is why I've ranked it quite high. So it's more of a, yeah, more of a spectacle and framing win than mechanical win you, you must have played this right um i didn't finish wind waker but i was i, lo- oh. I looked it up knowing you're going to discuss in this episode okay. um i think the puppet ganon element has a real cool spectacle to it as well like that's a, yeah. a cool looking thing that kind of matches the art style quite well of this game and conceptually but i do really like the the ganon design and animation is really well done yeah it's uh it's, it, it seems really cool i like the idea of using the water because that obviously being a kind of like key mechanic in the game as well and like um mm. kind of underlining the sense that this is like a Hyrule setting that is flooded like you say yeah it looks cool and i think i'm with you on zelda bosses generally as well like i, I you know i can't say that any of the bosses in breath of the wild the you know um those whatever they're called the four different beast thingies they're not particularly yeah, sort of the blight yeah. kind of ganons or whatever they are yeah yeah like the the kind of like um more kind of like boss type elements of those isn't particularly interesting um, the more interesting encounters in that are like regular enemies who are just really fucking hard to kill and just like how, yeah. how you can kind of deal with those um, using some of the different systems in the game. Um, that's more interesting. So yeah, I think I'm with you on that. But yeah, no, it looks um, looks super cool. Yeah, I should uh, finish this game so I can see it in action. Yeah, well, maybe one day they'll make a absolutely gorgeous 60 frames a second HD version of it. I still think that's something I would like to see. It's just a super smooth version of all this animation. Even the Wii U you know hd remake is, is is sort of held back in that regard i feel like there's a extra layer of glory to be unlocked in wind waker and all of these things will only become more spectacular also a shout out to um he's like the sandworm boss in wind waker because it's got this absolutely amazing theme tune the boss itself i think is only fine you're sort of hook shotting its tonsils to give him a good old whack but it plays this really jaunty tune that just gets you in a good murdering mood i like it mulgara is that the boss mulgara yeah that's the one yeah good choice matthew um i do really love that uh design of him actually and also found stumbled across um a really funny headline while looking in google image which is um, why Ganondorf was wrong in the Wind Waker, and I love the idea of like <laughs> writing an op-ed that like questions whether Ganon was ever, Ganondorf was ever right. Um, 
that's amazing. Um, oh my god, very delighted by that. Um, uh, do you like any of the other Ganondorf encounters in the different Zelda games, Matthew? Do, it, do they speak to you at all, or is this like the only one you really like? Batting lightning back and forth is is like super iconic. Uh, that feel, you know, that's a very memorable Zelda moment of of playing like lightning tennis with him um, in Ocarina. Ocarina, the actual end fight where he's the monster and you're just like rolling around him to smack his tail is incredibly underwhelming. I actually think the end boss fight, the very end phase of um, of Breath of the Wild ain't too hot either. Yeah, for where sure. Because there you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Like, he's out on Hyrule Field. It's this giant beast. But you're actually just riding quite a slow horse around it, shooting those huge targets. And it just doesn't It doesn't really land as like a colossal boss fight. Like, that's been done way better in many other games. Yeah. It's, it's important that there are places that Breath of the Wild 2 can improve. Um, because you've already got, like, one of the greatest games of all time, and the idea of, like, Breath of the Wild with, like, a really compelling suite of bosses, now that is a... That's that's beyond a ten out of ten. <laughs> yeah, of course, because you don't have the uh, dungeons in the same way, so you do. Yeah. You are a bit boss deprived in that that game. I never yeah, really I that. think I think so. Okay, good stuff, Matthew. Um, time to get a really obvious one off the board. Someone had to do it, so I've taken I've taken up the the challenge. Um, the end in Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. Very famous, it's classic. Yeah, very famous boss fight. I will say actually, uh, Matthew, that your Ganondorf one did appear on a bunch of the list of the best boss battles I saw. So there must be some consensus about that one among Zelda fans. Yep, so the end is this elderly sniper member of the, the Cobra unit um, in Metal Gear Solid 3 um, who are like the, the boss's former um, kind of like comrades who she rejoins at the start of the game. As Snake, you are on this kind of like uh, almost um, Apocalypse Now-ish journey through a jungle, taking them out one by one in your inevitable, um, on your way to your inevitable clash with the boss. Um, this one is such a memorable fight for a few reasons. It's a sniper fight in a giant jungle area. It's actually like three different uh, areas of the map. One area's got like a kind of like a river running through it. One's just like a, a jungle bit. There's a small base in one of them. Um, and you are trying to track down this sniper who is very well camouflaged in um, in among the environment. And the first time I played it, it took me hours to do. Um, now when I play it, I can do it in about uh, five minutes. No problem at all. You are tracking him um, using a, a, a microphone. Um, and so this boss, I would say, has everything. It has uh, clever mechanics. The microphone is a really clever mechanic. It's something that's already part of the game, but here you're required to use it beyond just like um, listing out for Easter eggs, which is traditionally how you use a microphone in um, Metal Gear games. Um, so you're trying to like uh, basically get information using it. The framing is amazing because you're in this quite eerie um, jungle setting. There's no music playing. And then um, in terms of spectacle as well, um, <laughs> he can uh, basically hold you up and you can be put in prison in the middle of the boss fight, have to break out and go back and finish the boss fight, which is an amazing <laughs> notion, I think. Um, and the first time that happened, that blew me away because he, he darts you, he kind of sleep darts you and you see your vision fading. You're like, oh, fuck. But then like as you kind of like fiddle around with your inventory and then come out of the inventory, he snuck up behind you and he's got a gun against your head. And then suddenly you wake up in prison, which is really, really cool. Um, boss prison. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, so this boss fight arguably, arguably has everything. Um, I knew someone who worked on Games TM. I won't say their name. It's not Ashley Day. Um, who uh, mess with their <laughs> mess with their PS2 clock in order to kill this boss? Because you can do that. He's a really old man, so you can kill him with time if you want to. Uh, yeah. An amazing notion. Um, before I go any further, Matthew, why don't you weigh in on the end as well? Because I imagine you've got strong feelings about it too. Look, I'd read a lot about the game going in. So this is a boss, I mean, like a lot of Kojima bosses. I actually wish I'd been able to discover this, some of this for myself. Because when you know about like some of the gimmicks in it or whatever, it maybe loses a little bit of magic. 
I have very similar like memories of it to you in terms of like how long it took. And I was like, "Do am I doing this right? Have I broken it?" Like, there's because there's a lot of the game you can, a lot of this fight you can sort of run around without encountering him at all. To the point where you're like, "Is there a boss? Like, what's even going on here?" And so, yeah, like the idea of having to completely change up your style, make use of that extra gadget to kind of get your head around it. I mean, it's a a classic Kojima move. I think this was the one I talked about when they asked me to appear on the Metal Gear documentary. So this is why I'm on IMDb. <laughs> He's always going on about that, isn't he? I mean, geez. Um, get over it, man. Um, well, uh, yeah. you know, it's helped me and Guillermo del Toro. Who knows? Maybe um, there'll one day be a true crime documentary about this podcast that ends with us being incarcerated um, by uh, <laughs> from all of our Yushinaka slander. So uh, <laughs> it could happen. Um, yeah, do you know what I will say, actually, about this one? Is that... Um, I actually didn't do any reading on Metal Gear Solid 3 before I played it. So the end was a complete surprise to me. Um, right. There was like a period where I stopped reading about games and paying attention to games. And so when I came back, the two games I picked up were Resi 4 and Metal Gear Solid 3. I didn't know anything about either of them. So it was a complete oh, surprise. Wow. Yeah, complete surprise coming to this and meeting this boss and it slowly unraveling and how exciting that was, you know. Um, good times. Mm. Yeah, so really good very very preposterous that when you use the microphone on him he um he sat there saying this is the end to himself and sometimes he'll fall asleep (laughs) during the fight which is funny as well um i think as well actually here's a really important thing i think this boss is tons easier in the hd collection than he is in the fucking blurry ps2 original oh because he just stands out more yeah he does you can see like different shades of green more because you've got more pixels on the screen showing you where he is you should just have it on pc go into the options and turn vegetation to off (laughs) (laughs) just pull the slider down and watch it watch his fires get revealed (laughs) remove the kind of character model details who just looks like a ps1 uh sort of like a series of polygons it's like there's the motherfucker uh yeah amazing. isn't there something with his bird as well yeah i can't remember what his bird does but he's, he's the bird sort of squawks every now and then i think isn't it like shoulder. if you kill his bird like it's harder for him to see you or something there's there's so many variables to this uh, there is um, there is the one thing i've missed out here well when you come to the dock before the boss fight He's on the dock, and if you hit him with your sniper rifle there and kill him, you never do this boss battle. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's like a classic Kojima touch, isn't it? How do you think the quiet sniper fight holds up in Metal Gear 5? Well, it's uh, I, I did like the fight. The truth is, though, I think this works better because it's got those additional extra elements to it, like the jungle mm. setting, the, the fact that he is hidden, and the fact that like you can wake up in the prison. And that there are like multiple environments to follow him through. It's a way more successful fight than um, Sniper Wolf, for example, which, which I think mm. is just like, um, where the fuck is she in the snow? Oh, okay, there she is, shoot her. Whereas, like, this is a version of that, but much more sophisticated. Mm. I think, like, those additional mechanics really make it. The quiet boss fight, what is the mechanic in that one? There is, can't you, like, knock her out by calling your horse in to land on her or some bullshit? Yeah, you can do, you can do aerial drops on where she's hiding. Right. And then, like, the crate falls on her and knocks her out. I mean, of course, you get. Like, once you fought her, she comes and, like, lives on your oil rig and does some slightly dubious sort of shower <laughs> scenes and stuff, which is not something that happens with the end. Yeah. Um, oh, for shame, I say. Um, <laughs> for shame. Yeah. I want to see an old guy having a bath <laughs> on my oil rig. I think people, I did see people swapping in different character models in that scene. Um, uh, that would be a, quite a funny one to do. The preposterous dancing in the water one with... Um, yeah. snake while the quiet theme plays that's so silly yeah that is the other thing it's like can i be seen to be like endorsing the whole quiet thing probably not 
Quiet's character design is preposterous, um, yeah. even by Kojima standards. I do like how the Quiet fight, because that world is like a more, you know, it's one big open world rather than sort of like contained arenas. Yeah. I like the size of it and also the fact that it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like if I remember correctly in 5, you're just sort of riding you know from point a to point b on the map and then all of a sudden you're kind of pulled into this sniper fight and you're like there's sniper fire from somewhere and you're like oh shit it's all kicking off you know they just couldn't do that with what they had at the time on when they were making metal gear Solid 3 even though the fight itself is is way better so yeah maybe it's for nothing but uh, no no I, I did like i think it was the only good boss fight in metal gear solid 5 um yeah like well, a, that stupid fiery bloke that was rubbish oh yeah that the guy who is volgin right from mgs3 but yeah on fire. yeah or like um uh sally anthropus which looked amazing that had spectacle but was otherwise quite a rope boss fight with a big robot so yeah yeah that was uh that's definitely up there I, yeah I, I like that i like that boss fight but the end is the ultimate um sniper oh, yeah. boss fight i think the greatest like concept and execution of i'd say any any kojima boss fight as well and this there's a lot of good contenders for it but he's that's this is the one i think this was the reason to set a metal gear game in the jungle for sure um yeah, good stuff. What's your second pick, Matthew? Again, a bit like Zelda, it's more of a it's more of a sort of representative pick. I don't really know where these fights fit into the the grand tapestry of boss fights, but I've picked I, I think it's pronounced Nuklatek for Super Mario Odyssey. Right. Which is uh one of the many bosses that you fight in the Sand Kingdom. It's like a big kind of sort of uh, Aztec head with two stone fists with this delightful mechanic where you're trying to dodge its hands and when he sort of slaps you and you dodge and then his hand is sort of dizzied by the impact and then you use Mario's cap to possess his hand so you then control this giant stone fist and you just have to drive it into his face and it like punches this giant Aztec in the face and he goes flying. You do that three times and it's over. Now the problem with not this boss fight but like Odyssey's boss fight and I'd also group the Galaxy games in this, is they are brilliant concepts, beautifully executed, but due to the kind of slightly kind of contained nature of them, they never they never go completely off the rails, you know, they're they're very like three hits and done. So like you never really get your teeth into any of them. But I wanted to put them on the list just because I I think EAD Tokyo who make Galaxy One, Galaxy Two, Odyssey have got a brilliant brilliant eye for a boss fight i think they're really good at taking the mechanic you've been playing with in the level up to the boss and then you know really making that the capper for the level you know yeah they do this loads of times in galaxy you know you'll be on a level where there's lots of bullet bills and then it will end in mega leg which is the the sort of mech where you climb up its legs and you're meant to sort of shepherd the bullet bills into crashing into it to kill it and things like that you know there's this um now quite cliched thought about mara galaxy um it comes from an awatarasi interview where they talk about this where they say they build levels this like three act structure where they kind of introduce an idea in the first act of the level then they expand on it in the second and then the third is really the test of like everything you know about that mechanic and it's why so many of the galaxy levels have this like beautiful kind of power curve where you start off and then by the end they they end in like a sort of fireworks display almost and in a lot of those levels that third act is a boss and so they make loads of bosses in galaxy one two and odyssey which i really like they're all different they're all perfectly built around one or two ideas from that level there's just a huge amount of variety in them i i guess like they very rarely make boss lists because 
like by design they're kind of quite simple they're not there to kind of completely throw you off there's a little bit of threat but the difficulty on these games isn't really the focus which is why i'm denied about including them i went for this guy just because i think the tactile smack of his fist into his face is just is so nice and it's such a like big power fantasy where you're suddenly in control of this huge fist it's like at that point in the game it's one of the bigger things you've controlled the idea of like possessing a bit of the boss to use against it beautiful simplicity to that idea i could have picked many other bosses also there's there's a one i really like which is like a mech that's sort of like a it's almost like a japanese sort of pagoda but come come alive as a mech and you have to kind of knock it over and then you possess the um those birds with the long beaks who kind of stick their beaks in and sort of and then bounce up on their beaks you have to kind of peck up the side of this uh, wooden mech to kind of smash its weak points just little things like that a really sort of cinematic exciting exploration of an established idea this team does that brilliantly yeah so um i i must admit i would struggle to put any mario boss i've played against into one of these beyond a simple like uh you know like they the spectacle is definitely something that the um 3d all the 3d games have got in terms of bosses but um mm. i don't know if i would ever like truly impressed by the mechanical side of them but it sounds like this has yeah. a reason to be impressed you know maybe it's more like chin strokey appreciate the kind of craft and art of it but I like that these games have tons of bosses. Most of them are very unique. They are bosses as varied and wild as Galaxy and Odyssey are varied and wild, which is reason to be excited. I toyed with using, uh, there's one called Bouldergeist as the example from Galaxy, which is like the kind of ghost where you swing these bombs around these sort of bomboos right you sort of grab their tongues swing them around and then and then smash these bombs into like a ghost encased in rocks and you have to break his outer shell that's that's also just really tactile and nice the thing that mario team because they're so good at like the feeling of games and like the physical sensation of playing something and the the texture of the games the sensation of smashing a boss and finally decking a boss is really really well done it's just the fights maybe never get as exciting as they need to 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 properly like register but um i'm doing it anyway it's my list god damn it yeah of course yeah nothing <laughs> let nothing stop you don't worry i've got i've got one bullshit entry in here that will um but... <laughs> that wasn't a bullshit <laughs> well no, no i'm not saying that i'm just saying that you know just to make you feel better if you're slightly unsure of yourself it's all good um, no, I, I did. I did. I'm an R about it. I, I know what the patrons want to hear. They want to hear some Nintendo. <laughs> exactly. They don't want to hear about uh, Destiny Two, which is where my next boss comes from. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I wanted to put one Destiny boss in here because I think these are kind of like a, a feat of boss design unto themselves. I mean, I guess they're most similar to like MMO raid design, where you would have like a, a giant party of people all doing like their own classes, different thing, in order to like help beat the boss and. Um, you know, I understand there's some very clever variants on that, but obviously this is a first-person shooter version of that, um, which is quite interesting. So Destiny 2's raids, for those who don't know, requires six human players. There's no matchmaking. You need to go actually find the people in the real world to go play with you, which is um, <laughs> has always held up the people I used to play with Destiny with because it's really hard to get um, uh, six people over 30 to commit their time to playing a game. <laughs> That's the real boss fight, am I right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is an interesting one. This is Callus um, from Destiny 2's Leviathan Raid. And you can no longer play this in the game because it's been vaulted. So this is like a lost oh. boss. You cannot just log on to Destiny 2 and play this. But it was a real favourite of mine of all the different raids we did. And we did a few of them multiple times. This is the one I liked the most because he's like 
this giant like robot man with like flesh underneath him in this like garish gold robot man in this garish gold spaceship who is surrounded by the like mythical space wine grapes and like is drinking <laughs> wine from these grapes and is quite like rotund and it's kind of a preposterous over the top figure. I've heard him sounds aspirational. <laughs> I've heard him compared to Hedonism Bot from uh, by, from Futurama, <laughs> um, which I think is a good comparison because he is just a bit preposterous. And to start the fight, you need to literally shoot like um, a sort of like glass of wine out of his hand, and then the fight kicks <laughs> off. Um, and like the thing about the Destiny raids is that they are like a a kind of masterclass of precision and synchronization between groups of players, like doing things at the right time. In each phase of the boss, half of your squad stays in the the initial room with Callus, which is has all these grapes um, around you, and it has these like um, these like in front of Callus is like a, a series of plates that correspond to symbols, and you're not quite sure of what they mean uh, straight away. But you, you just have to fend off enemies in that room if you're one half of the team. But another half of the team randomly gets teleported into a parallel dimension where this like giant kind of like purple visage of the boss's giant head appears in front of you and is sucking you towards him and each player when looking at his head can see a different symbol they read those out to the players who are still in the main room with the boss and then um, basically, in in that room, the one symbol that's not called out, the the plates in that room, are, are, are like a cat, an enemy will appear above each of those plates, and you have to kill the one enemy, not the others, that wasn't didn't appear on Callus's head in the parallel dimension. That sounds preposterous, but once you get it, everyone's like, I've got cup or whatever, and then like everyone's like, okay, well it's not cup, and then the three are read out, and then it's like, okay, we know which one to kill, and once you've done that you can damage him and like you um, basically have to stand on the different um plates in the game one by one until callus does this iron man style beam attack then you've got to jump off and go to the next plate you just absolutely spam him with like everything you've got and then the kind of cycle begins again you can do it in like two or three of those goes but maybe it's hard to explain why a destiny raid is exhilarating but the unpredictable nature of not knowing whether you're gonna get sucked to that other dimension or not and also just the tension of having to read out the right symbol and not say something ambiguous to correspond to that oh, symbol. Um, yeah, quite nerve What is the most interesting stuff in that game locked away, well, A, behind <laughs> six-player co-op, and B, permanently locked behind <laughs> the vault or whatever that is? Yeah, that's it. Like, you may never... You know, there's a lot of players who love Destiny who will never see this because they'll never find the five people to play it. Well, my experience with Destiny is just, like, slightly generic robots being a bit sad about like a big ball in the sky <laughs> and you're like Ugh. and then you tell me this that there's like a like a mad culinary robot <laughs> who you have to work out its secret feeding habits or oh, like what the fuck <laughs> on this giant gold spaceship gold interiors gold exterior like it's amazing and like here's the other great thing right once you destroy him you go you realize he's a robot at the end he's not actually like a, a beast at all he's like a robot inside and he kind of blows up and then you go into like this secret room to collect your awards. And in that room, there's like a production line of different, like of, of him again, over and over and over again. And like, <laughs> I don't know what the law reason behind that is, but I like the idea that like, it's almost like the game winking at you. Like, yeah, someone else is going to have to play against this guy in like um, five minutes. So here's there's going to be right. another callus exactly the same as this one um, off the production <laughs> line in the game. I, I'm sure that wasn't the intent. I'm sure there's some like a law egg somewhere that explains what that actually is, is actually going on. But I just like like you. Oh, you thought you killed callus, did you? Well, there's like a hundred of them behind this door. Um, and I really like that. So 
I hope I was able to con- to explain in some way why this is such a good boss fight. Oh, Matthew. that sounds absolutely brilliant. Uh, oh, right. I'd love to, I'd love to see that. It's the it's the touch of shooting the glass out of his hand. The kind of like he just yeah. he's app- he's appalled and then the fight starts. <laughs> it's so I good. Mean- I would be a Paul too. And what you've described is basically how six people would have to kill me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah um, while you're slowly drinking, um, I don't know, it'd be Diet Coke. Pepsi you, Max. It? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, there you go. It was nice to talk a bit of Destiny. And I hope um, the listeners at home weren't too bored by that explanation. So, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's, you can watch it on YouTube if you want to see what the deal is. But um, yeah, very, very good boss fight. So, what's your next uh, your third one Matthew I've gone for the masked lumen sage in Bayonetta 2 mm. it's a character you fight several times in this game in various forms I'm picking the one that you fight for the first time I think you fight him um, in chapter 4 the games are quite early on this is obviously platinum amazing at boss fights they may appear a second time in my list we shall see um, I don't know why I'm trying to build anticipation for... I mean they'll find out in about 10 minutes so yeah I know <laughs> Yeah, that was that was bad. Um, they're obviously like a huge range of bosses that Platinum do, but like uh, you know, I'd say a lot of them you could kind of group into. You fight a kind of galactic scaled thing in more of a kind of a puzzle kind of encounter where it's it's about like dodging attacks. Then you get a weak spot and you pummel it for a bit, and then you dodge attacks and you pummel the weak spot, and then you have. A kind of you fighting something more your size in a straight one-on-one fight, and this is something Cami has like always done. Uh, you know, this this is uh, in Bayonetta one. You know, it's Jean who's like the rival witch who basically has your powers uh, in the Devil May Cry series. It's Virgil, another human-sized enemy that you that that you encounter. They're less spectacular, but they're super super pure because it's basically what if you fought something with the same powers as you. And it's about having the might of your moveset kind of thrown in your face, which the kind of Mars Sage fits into. But why I like this particular fight is it has that incredible, like, precision of that smaller fight, but it also escalates wildly in that uh, about a third into the fight, you both summon these sort of, you know, he summons like a giant angelic attacker, you summon a giant demonic attacker, and they start having like the wildest fight in the background. So then you're trying to concentrate on this on this very exacting kind of fight in the foreground, why this just chaos of this giant angel fighting this giant demon. And there is some impact on it. So every once in a while, the the angels start like revving up an attack that's going to come into the foreground and hurt you. So that's when you really need to like pummel the sage to break his concentration so that your demon can then sort of lead the way. I'm not going to say it's any, you know, you're not controlling them at this point in the background, but there is some connection between sort of how the fight is progressing in the foreground to what's happening in the background and it's almost so busy that you you couldn't possibly pass this fight on your first or second attempt i think it's almost something like designed for you to replay again and again just to get a deeper appreciation of like just how manic and detailed everything is you know like the first time you're just scrapping to try and survive against this character who can throw you know a lot of your moves back at you you know basically just spamming as much witch time as possible to land any hits but like the second or third time you begin to appreciate like the narrative of the fight that's going on in the background and then it all builds to this brilliant head where you finally control 
your giant demonic summon to pummel the face of his giant angelic summon and so it's 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 like a rare fight in that game that i think goes from the human scale to the kind of godlike scale in one fight um so it's kind of a best of both worlds i must admit there's a real close second if we're talking bayonetta which is obviously the classic end to the first game where you fight Jubileus which is like a colossal beast where you're smashing all these masks in but then you fight creation in space and end up basically punching a god through the solar system so they burn up in the sun yeah like one of the most spectacular endings to a game ever this is next level it's that thing I was talking about earlier I want to see what people do with the new generation of power with that old kind of thinking that's exactly what Platinum did they were like our command of like 3D space and camera and character models. Look what we can make happen, and it's kind of astonishing. But this one, I think, has the technical fight as well as that spectacle. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty special. Yeah, it's interesting you pick um, a boss from Bayonetta 2 and not the original, which, you know, I consider an inferior game, Bayonetta 2. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. What was the kind of like uh, logic there? Is this just one that kind of sticks out in the memory more? The problem with Bayonetta 2, I wouldn't say it's like the individual boss fights, but like the structure of the game. Yeah. Like it has less like level between bosses there's stretches of this where it just feels like a boss rush mode the city isn't as fun to explore like there's less kind of smaller fights it's a bit more like arena 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 so it has it feels like less of a ride than the original bayonetta does i think that's a bayonetta one is the better game for sure but there are a few bosses where bayonetta 2 just really 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 lands it and it's so vibrant as well like i love the the color scheme of bayonetta is just like really rich kind of blues and purples and to my eyes i prefer like the color scheme of bayonetta 2 it's also got this i guess it does count as a boss you fight this knight with a sword underwater it's got this great thing where obviously you've got witch time bayonetta which is when you dodge at last second you get like two seconds of slow-mo to kind of like pummel an enemy with and this this enemy is swiping a sword at you underwater but when you go into witch time obviously time slows and you realize that when he moves his sword he's moving it like so fast that the water's like parting like the you know parting the red sea or whatever right it sort of reveals this like hidden graphical effect that you can only see in slow motion Mm. which is the fact that he's he's doing such devastating slices uh, that this entire ocean is parting around him that's so fucking cool like as a visual effect i love that so much but the fight's only okay (laughs) yeah i think it's um i think a lot of that game's problems don't come down to the bosses like structure is one thing but also it was the way the weapons fit together just didn't feel quite as right to me as the original for whatever Mm. reason um couldn't quite figure that out but yeah wasn't as big a fan of two as one but i do remember these um lumen enemies for sure so um, not a bad call, Matthew. This this one's obviously harder to play because you know it's still a Nintendo exclusive. But um, I've got the Switch version of it, and it is it's really really nice. Uh, if you can play it on an OLED, oh boy, this looks good on that handheld screen. Oh, nice, yeah, yeah. I should probably pick these up on Switch at some point, so I don't have to yeah, keep yeah. plugging the Wii U in. Though we have launched a Patreon now, so I can literally make plugging the Wii U in a stretch goal. That could be a big, big Sammy's big OLED fun. <laughs> yeah. If we hit a grand, I'll get the Wii U out and uh, play uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. So, uh, yeah. Okay, good stuff. For man. one half hour stream. <laughs> good, to have a, good to have a platinum ticked off in this list. Um, good stuff. So, uh, my fourth pick. Um, this is a pure spectacle and framing pick. This is Ultima Weapon from Final Fantasy VIII. Now, in the game, 
there is this uh, area called the Deep Sea Research Facility. Early on, uh, before you get an airship in the game, uh, you get, get the um, the garden, your base at the start of the game, becomes mobile, and you get to use that as a little hovercraft, basically. And so you can go around most of the world, but you can't go onto all surfaces, and like um, you can't get everywhere. So I was sort of I remember pottering around in this like a floating base um, just on the world map, going across this vast ocean, nothing in the ocean at all. Uh, oh wait, there is like one tiny little kind of like wrecked looking building in the middle of the ocean i wonder what that's about return later on with final fantasy 8's um gorgeous looking um spaceship airship the ragnarok and um you can actually land on top of this tiny structure in the middle of the ocean you don't really know what it's uh, what it is and then you um go inside the whole place is abandoned there are no humans there um something has clearly happened there um and you descend and you descend and you descend you unlock these different levels and keep going down and down and down and down you get to what you think is the bottom, and waiting for you there is um, Bahamut, the um, iconic Final Fantasy uh, summon. You fight uh, Bahamut, and then um, uh, once you've beaten him, you get the, um, the the you can summon him in battle anytime you like. So you think, okay, cool, well, that was cool. I guess that was the end of the thing. Nope. You go further down to what feels like just like real, it's like a subterranean sort of cave location. There's like a little kind of like lake there, this running water, um, and there's this giant metal cable. And Squall, the main character, fiddles with this like little sequence of buttons and the cable just starts moving and like it goes for ages and then you see like the kind of floors above you and an alarm starts going off. And you wanna think, what the fuck is this? And then um it's like a horror <laughs> setting. And then like the thick cable keeps moving and um, dragging something up. And then, uh, and then suddenly the, the battle just starts and there's this like giant monster in front of you. And I love this because the horror framing just added something to what is otherwise a fairly straightforward like optional boss. You just kind of like basically just have to batter him with Squall's um, a, a limit break a few times. But I just really love the idea. It's a step-by-step reveal of what is this horror underground that led to all these people not being in this facility anymore. And that mm. it was this setting that was teased out to you over the course of the game if you were curious as a player. Um, mm. So I loved all that, Matthew. Any thoughts on that? And so is this is this like a, a big optional boss then? Yeah. So there's like um, there's two big optional bosses in the game. There's like a mega weapon and ultimate weapon. A mega weapon's borderline impossible. That's in the last disc of the game. <laughs> ultimate weapon is out there in the open world for you to find in this this location, basically. So yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into when I first went there, but I just really it's like it's the cable moving thing and the alarm going off and the kind of weird dark damp setting where you're not sure yeah. what the fuck went on here that led to like. Like no one being here just a bit different for final fantasy like a dungeon of yeah. sorts but like um it, yeah quite an interesting sort of um riff on one um another nice easter egg um this character ultima weapon is holding what um the ultima weapon that cloud uses in final fantasy 7 which asks some questions about um the how this game might connect to that game um just a nice Ooh. little easter egg there so yeah final I've fantasy seen some lazy asset reuse <laughs> Oh, wait, take the fun out of it, Matthew. Jeez. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, so yeah, Final Fantasy wanted to give a kind of shout out there because they do some um, some good bosses, but that's that's the one that sticks in the memory out of that game. I know we were talking a little bit about um, Final Fantasy X earlier, but I've never played enough of a JRPG to ever get into the deep, hard, optional endgame content of any of them. When I when I saw this one on your list, I, I was wondering about the mindset of people who go after that stuff in JRPGs. I mean, in other Final Fantasies, have you have you you know is there anyone where you have done like the the crazy borderline impossible thing um 
Yeah, so I have done them. I wouldn't say like necessarily I've done them legit. So um, right. <laughs> you might remember, Matthew, I'm sure you would have encountered these. Um, the Dark Aeons in Final Fantasy X. Um, they're actually my honorable mentions for the end of the episode. But like um, basically the um, the summons in the game, um, about I think after you um, basically you kill Seymour in the game and then um, the Temple of Yevon comes after you these like demonic versions of all your summons are unleashed in the world and they are just mm. waiting for you in these different locations and they're like color sw- uh, flipped so they look quite fucked up and um you could go back to a temple and in, in, in like besaid and get a really nasty surprise when this boss like insta kills you with five nines of damage um <laughs> so yeah like um i i did beat those by using yajimbo the summon that you pay to cut enemies oh. in half and i basically just spent a fortune getting him to kill all of these one by one. And that's how I did it. I beat all of the Dark Aeons by cheating with Yojimbo. But oh. it, it beats trying to, like, let... the the. It would have taken hundreds of hours, otherwise I could be bothered. Right. Because um, that, yeah. when I look at those things, I think, is that what this actually is? Is it just a case of, like, you have to grind the numbers up so high that you eventually win? There's not like a... There's not like a... a well, there's a skill to it, I guess, but it's it's... Like a, just a raw numbers game. Yeah, some are more interesting than others. Like, um, and some use mechanics differently. So with um, Final Fantasy VII, because that's got the summon Knights of the Round, um, mm-hmm. and you can basically, I think, set set that to like cast over and over again in a row, and that can, and because that is like a multi attack summon where loads of like fucking King Arthur knights or whatever just come and batter the enemy for you um you can take on some of those optional bosses and just have that so it's like the spell repeating over and over and over again and that's like one way you can do it so right but generally speaking yeah they are about like well it's not like the you'll finish the end boss and be able to do them you'll finish the end boss and play for another 200 hours and you might be able to do them you know so yeah, yeah. this one's a lot softer though i did that uh giant turtle in final fantasy 15 Oh yeah, is it Adamantoys? Adamantoys, um, yeah. With um, you've got like that insta kill ring move. Oh yeah, is yeah. It, there's I I cause I read about it online that if you could like eat loads of food to kind of um, <laughs> boost like particular stat. I don't know, like your luck stat or something. So I basically ate like ten roast dinners or something <laughs> in a row, and then you save the game, and it cause it's got like a very low probability of insta killing that turtle boss who for people who haven't seen it it's like a turtle the size of a mountain yeah it's absolutely massive didn't they say it was a boss fight that took like 24 hours or something in the in the lead up to it i think that was bullshit but there was definitely some like big talk i of, mean it felt we, like it <laughs> we've got this boss that you're gonna have to play for hours and hours at least but yeah i just kept spamming this one ring attack until eventually it just like instant killed it in one and just sort of evaporated it Oh, that was good. I think I actually did it for a, vi- a video on the Xbox YouTube channel. Well, so I think you can see the footage of me melting the turtle in an old Xbox UK YouTube <laughs> fit, uh, vid. <laughs> well, the funny thing about that that is, I think that that is a boss that an end game boss that exposes the flaws in that combat system, which is it is basically just a game of spamming very nice looking moves. And I did that boss legit, and it took me about. 25 minutes of solid play to beat it of doing the same thing over and over again and it was just mm. you know noctis just like battering his head and like avoiding his attack uh the, the attacks he does and mostly just pressing the square button for hours well for what <laughs> felt like hours basically um and there is like they added another optional end boss they added a mega weapon um to the royal edition so when you right. um because they added the whole city at the end of the game whereas before you could only go to that one little bit for the boss um 
there's right. like a whole cityscape you could like walk across basically and go underground and stuff and um appearing out of a portal is this giant kind of a spider robot thing that's a mega weapon and that's like an end game boss they added so they're still they still oh. like doing them in the old ff games you know well i better go and get my 10 roast dinners down me and start <laughs> spamming the magic ring that's what you always do before you uh fight your enemies isn't it matthew eat 10 roast dinners <laughs> yeah. um yeah I, I was eating 10 roast dinners before i even fought like a single goblin in that game <laughs> And all his mates are like, Prince, you don't have to do this. It's like when I would um, make the recipe that was just some beef floating in a, in a pot noodle. And like, <laughs> I was there thinking that is not nutritious to go, enough to go and fight a god afterwards, which is basically what you're doing. <laughs> so, yeah, that came to mind. Um, it was, pot noodle breath. Yeah. What's your uh, fourth pick, Matthew? My fourth pick is uh, it's quite an old school one. I've actually gone for uh, Gunstar Heroes on the Mega Drive and I've gone for Seven Force. Are you familiar with this boss? I'm not, but I'm quite surprised to hear you um, pick like a treasure game boss. But intrigued, all the same, you know. Treasure, they, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of a proto-platinum in that Treasure were originally like a bunch of Konami guys who worked on various things. I think a lot of them were on like Contra games. And then they left, like 10 of them left uh, in the early 90s, set up a little studio and made uh, Gunstar Heroes for the Mega Drive and begin this sort of relationship of making really characterful, hardcore action games. Like, that is the Platinum story as well, you know? Except for Capcom, you know, 20 years later. And, yeah, Gunstar's Heroes, I mean, it'd be a bit unfair to say it's just a boss rush mode, but the thing that people remember in most treasure games are the bosses, and, you know, there's there's plenty of fun kind of, like, you know, run and gunnery in between those bosses, but I think this is what we're really here for. Um, yeah, this was slightly inspired by playing uh, Sin and Punishment on the N64 on Switch Online uh, this year. Um, I played it a couple of months ago. I was just reminded of like, this just feels so good. This is such a class act, and the boss fights are absolutely amazing. And it just got me thinking about some of their games, which I'd played on the past on like Virtual Console and different things like that. And this is like, I, it was more like I wanted to have a, a nod to treasure in my list. And I think Seven Force, even though it's a Mega Drive boss and they've made more technically impressive things, it's it's a, a, a real standout achievement in that it's a it's like a mech that chases you uh, through a mine shaft. You're in a mine cart that is scrolling, so you really only just control like jumping the mine cart up and down and shooting. Like it really limits your movement. The big thing with the mech is that it has seven different forms, which it switches between. You have to play the game on hard to play all seven forms. Like on medium, it only has five. On easy, I think it has three. Yeah. Um, it always starts with soldier force, which is like this running kind of running guy who sort of uh, throws the sort of thrusting punches at you but after that it will randomize like what the forms are so if you play on easy medium you like the boss fight's different every time you never know what you're gonna get and it's this this huge technical feat because you know it's this transforming character made out of blocks the programmer who also designed the, the boss sort of made it sort of single-handedly kind of came up with this um approach that took a lot of simple parts like cubes and then um, had them animating together rather than having like one giant sprite that would be very like labor and power intensive it has a lot of small basic parts but with just very complicated maths holding them together mm. and that's how he makes this quite astonishing moving thing on the mega drive happen like the way it shifts into these different forms like different animal forms is it's like still to this day like very very impressive very very cool and it's like seven boss fights in one 
which which I really like. Mm. Um, it has this this cool run up to it where it says like seven force on screen, and then it starts listing the forms. And obviously, if you've not played it before and you don't know what's coming, it's just this like list of seven bosses and their moves: soldier force, tails force, tiger force. And you're like, what the hell is this? What's happening? And then it starts listing all their moves, and they've got weird names like dance, dance, and gold bullet, and. Uh, there's one called Russian Roulette, and you're just like, what does all this mean? And then it just chucks like all this kind of mad cuboid kind of shifting thing at you. Like for the Mega Drive, this is kind of amazing. Like I think we'd still be pretty impressed, you know, if this was just done in like modern pixel art, it would be it would be awesome. Hmm. That's cool. Is this a game you played at the time, Matthew, or just like um, recently discovered? I remember like you know seeing pictures of it and and you know, reading about it in games magazines and just thinking, like, what the hell is this thing? This looks crazy. Mm. Like, maybe a friend had it. But, yeah, no, I, I played this properly on Virtual Console is when I kind of got into it. And so it, it definitely holds up. Just lots of, like, weird visual effects. Like I say, it is. it has that platinum thing of, like, how the hell are they doing this? Or, like, they've really, you know, got amazing tech and art command to kind of pull this off. Hmm. it's like a really beloved boss there's there's a lot of affection for this uh i know that uh, chris donlan at eurogamer is a is also a big seven force stan uh, it, this will often come up in his pieces like an older boss that i think still holds up today is, is still kind of every bit as like magic as it was back then hmm. yeah that's really cool um you much of a were you much of a fan of the uh, treasure gba output matthew astro boy omega factor and gunstar superheroes do you play those i haven't played a lot of them I must admit. Oh, I think you'd really like Astro Boy as like a little kind of like living museum of that that kind of like manga. Um, that's mm. a, that's a rad game. I think you'd really like that. I need to f- fill some holes there for sure. When will Nintendo give us Game Boy Advance Switch Online? That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, that Astro Boy game is so good, but I can't ever see it being like re-released anywhere. But it was, um, yeah, that was a proper nine out of ten uh, shooter. That was um, one day to be picked in a GBA draft, no doubt. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Um, so my last pick, Matthew, is um, Phalanx from Shadow the Colossus, um, best known as the Sandworm um, Colossus in the uh, in that game. Um, so obviously, Shadow the Colossus is a series of uh, boss battles, a mixture of action, platforming, and puzzle solving to defeat these bosses. Um, you're usually looking for a glowing weak spot on them, but how you actually access that weak spot can be um, a combination of using your environment, um, cleverly um, kind of like uh, basically climbing the enemy, mounting the enemy, getting to look in a certain place. There's a bunch of different ways. Um, half of the, the fun of these um, enemies is figuring out how you actually get access to them at all, I would say. Mm. And then like a proper boss phase then kicks in after you've um, you've managed to kind of like get on top of them and start the um, process of basically tracking down their weak points. And so... I picked this one because this is, I think, the game's perfect mix of those parts I keep banging on about, um, the clever mm. mechanics, um, the framing, the spectacle. Um, in this game, generally, it's um, uh, this game is really good at creating anxiety when you find the right location and you're waiting for the Colossus to appear. Mm. And in this case, you're going to a giant empty desert with just like a stone sort of ruin in the middle and you kind of your light of your sword guides you towards where you're going. So you think, well, okay, I guess I'll just go to this um, central bit here. And when you do this, uh, one of the largest things you will have ever seen in a PS2 game comes out of the ground and it is this flying um, snake, uh, sand snake thing. And basically... You have to pierce the um, 
these kind of like white kind of like pus bag things underneath it in order to make it like um come towards the ground and then you have to ride your horse alongside it and perfectly time a jump onto its little wings where there are these kind of like ladder like spokes to grab onto on the surface of the wings and once you're on this like moving flying creature it's about stabbing its weak spots which are below these kind of like shell things on its back and um you have to like use the kind of fur on top of it to kind of like make your way um to the front while the wind is blowing at you so um this game does bosses so well but this is the most memorable one every time i see it i'm blown away by it um matthew is it a favorite of yours in this game there's so many winners in here and and, and you're right like I, I'm, I'm not very good on their names i must admit i'm always like it's the bird one yeah um, bird one's good uh yeah, I think the ones which have got a bit of like extra speed or kind of an aerial element to them, I really, really like. Um, that's where they come alive. I love this format so much that like, I was quite, I was almost tempted to put a, a few like Shadow of the Colossus ripoff bosses on my list. Right. Because there's like a lot of people have done like slightly bad versions of this, but it's such a cool idea that even a bad version like, sh- like, uh, perennial back page favorite uh, castlevania lords of shadow <laughs> has a few bosses which are like climb up its giant back and stab it in the head and then you win but they've got none of the kind of visual poetry none of the um restraint i think is what works for me in shadow of the colossus it's so kind of calm and cool 95 percent of the time and then just extraordinarily rad and overwhelming and scary. I think I think that ominous kind of fear, anxiety you mentioned is is like a huge, huge part of why this game works. Like it's kind of terrifying because you look at these landscapes and you're like, well, I know these things are big and I can't see them right now. So it's here somewhere and it's hiding. Well, how is it going to emerge? And that's a that's like a really effective thing. It does again and again. It's an amazing game. I've never played the HD remake and I probably should. Yeah, it's really nice. I, I saw a lot of people banging on about the original art style and stuff. And I, I don't actually think there's loads of merit in that. Um, I think people will, will just really enjoy this if they just played it they wouldn't really like notice the difference and the uh, the differences they would notice they'd appreciate i think they did a great facelift of this um Mm. and if you have a ps3 uh, which i know not everyone does the original version is not lost because uh the version on there is more uh, visually similar um to the uh, original one of course it comes with ico as well so the ps3 one is also an alternative there but yeah i can never remember their names either but um you know uh, good ones in this game include the bird one the underwater one that's good not as bit fond of the little dog one you need to like um, wave a torch at to make him fall off then climb on his back he's a bit annoying um but bless him he's only trying to like, live his life in a quiet little valley um you just come along and stab him just to bring your girlfriend back or whatever um so yeah uh there's a yeah there's a few others i like the one that's on top of the plate with the giant sword that's um that kind of firing down at you i like the one that's like in the the creepy crawly one that's inside that coliseum like setting that's a really cool underground location um again half the fun there is just finding the damn place it's quite out of the way um Mm. but yeah this one this one is like the peak of everything it does well combined i would say in an absolute Mm. masterpiece of a game so yeah, in, of all the boss battles in Shadow of the Colossus, this is, this is top for me. So, Matthew, we come to your final entry. Gone with another Platinum game. I've decided to end the list with the not very memorably, memorably named Jaginga from The Wonderful 101. I love The Wonderful 101. I hate the character enemy names. I just think they're, they've got a horrible mouthfeel to them. This is, I mean, 
you can look this fight up on YouTube if you haven't watched it. And the fact is that like the videos are like an hour long, gives you an indication that Platinum and Carney go pretty mad with this. You fight this alien kind of invader, supreme overlord thing, which is like a big brain basically in space on a spaceship, and you end up sort of destroying the spaceship, having to flee in a kind of uh, a ship section where you're flying a ship uh, through a kind of tunnel with lots of lasers. You think, oh, this is the end of the game. It's like a big dramatic escape. You get outside of the ship and then the boss uses the sort of smouldering remains of the ship to build an even bigger body for you to fight. And it just keeps scaling up and up and up and up. And like mechanically, I think that there maybe are individually like better fights more interesting fights i was very very tempted to include one there's a brilliant fight which is basically like a riff on punch out where you've got uh two giant fists and you're sort of controlling a big sort of mech to to punch robots and you drive your fist into the other robot's head and then you uh, make all your little characters run along the arm into the other end into the enemy and carry on like the boss fight inside it which is just like a classic cameo big scale little scale big scale little scale thing which i really love this one just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh to come back to our earlier question about quick time events it ends with a huge quick time event where you build a massive laser which the name of which i wrote down because it it just made me laugh at how dumb it is it's the final ultimate legendary earth power supermax justice miracle dream beautiful galaxy big bang little bang sunrise starlight infinite fabulous totally final wonderful arrow are we sure this Which... game was directed by hideki kamiya can we be sure of that matthew That's my question to you <laughs> you end up firing this giant laser and it ends with you just mash a and it comes up with the quick time instruction pre- uh, protect earth to save the earth you just have to mash a a lot and this laser gets bigger and bigger and uh, at this point you've sort of summoned the collective force of of earth behind you so you you're in space charging up this laser the earth is behind you spinning faster and faster as your laser gets bigger it keeps cutting to all the characters inside the spaceship also mashing buttons like you are so it feels like you're mashing buttons you can hear your button mashing they're mashing buttons you can hear their buttons mashing and it goes on for so you know this quick time event goes on for so long that they play like the game's entire theme tune during it right which is the wonderful 101 like song so it starts singing like the superhero kind of saturday morning cartoon theme tune this this collision of like your taps their taps this music this crazy laser on screen it is just the best final moment in a game in terms of just pure mad scale um one of their weirder games definitely one of his like sort of harder games to sort of pass and get your head around but if you get into the wonderful 101 i think it just it delivers in such a a massive way that i've now spoiled Um, (laughs) but i can't you can't really spoil it that's the truth you have to kind of see this and how it's executed to really enjoy it and the trip there is so wild so packed with these highlights yeah very good um just in the background i have bought a copy of this for 13.99 on amazon on switch so that's um that'll be with me nice. soon that seems well worth it doesn't it um yeah I'd, i love i love wonderful one i'd pay 14 quid not to get the wii u out to be honest so that's um fine by <laughs> me um yeah i always kind of love the aesthetic of this game but never quite cracked it played it a few times um love the different settings in it but uh yeah maybe yeah uh, maybe this will be the time that it gets me matthew but i did see this on a few lists of the best boss battles so uh, again not just you for this one um but yeah there you go um, i feel i feel supported by my fellow 
lovers of God in space. <laughs> so, um, great stuff, Matthew. We have done we have done the lists, um, the, our top five boss battles there. I think a really good variety there. I would say that, generally speaking, rather than being a straight top five, it's more like the five types of bosses I like, and these represent the best of those types, I would say, is kind of how I did it a little bit. Um, I started off with this like clever idea of really doing that and each one being like a big sort of archetype of boss fight, but I, I like Platinum going mad too much, so I did two <laughs> of those. Yeah, I tried to pick basically a Metal Gear boss, a FromSoft boss, a Destiny Raid boss, um, an RPG boss, and then like a boss from a game of bosses. That was kind of like how I sort of went for it. Oh, um, it's very elegantly done. This is the level of deep thought that people are paying for in this Patreon tier. <laughs> Please don't unsubscribe <laughs> now that you've heard that. Um, so yes, um, you also originally had the Stranger from God of War on your list at one point, Matthew, because um, the notes document I'm using says that. Um, what was the thinking behind uh, trimming that in the end? I've only played God of War. That's the 2018 version, the one time, but it it really, really registered with me. That's where the game really picked up. Like if you haven't played it, you're kind of like sort of bobbling around as Kratos for an hour or two and it's it's kind of low-key and you fight like a big kind of troll thing and then you meet this sort of strange man who he's the stranger you have no idea who he is and you have this kind of three-phased fist fight where it sort of like awakens some of the old Kratos like it's where it's where he kind of kicks back in and kind of cut from the same cloth as a that thing I was saying about the platinum kind of like human versus human where it's it's quite a sort of simple like low-key fight in terms of like scale but as you both begin to tap into your godlike powers it just gets a bit more exciting I mean the thing there that really wowed me is I, I, I still think it's kind of like some of the best use of that game single camera format like the movement in the arena and you get like punched through like a mountain at one point and the way the camera kind of keeps up and frames it that was that was the moment where i was like oh holy shit like they're 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 really doing this and like they're not cutting corners this is a very complicated fight to frame and keep up with and they're doing it and like in a way i kind of prefer it to like any of the bosses that follow like there's some other really good ones in the game for that initial wow factor and i guess like the narrative angle as well of this idea of this kind of character awakening i really like the the idea of this sort of mysterious guy who seems to know Kratos's past and he's sort of like you know I've kind of heard about you and I was kind of expecting something more and he seems to know like what he's done in his past that's really interesting it was it was very flashy but it's I just wanted to celebrate the other ones more <laughs> no that's fine I mean yeah very um it definitely is a, a memorable way to start that game and um yeah I've got a lot of love for the uh, spectacle in that game for sure for at least the bits I've played anyway so we've got some more honourable mentions here, Matthew. I'll just fire into one of mine. They won't take long, I'm sure. Um, but Mr. Freeze in Arkham uh, City is one I wanted to pull out. This uh, this is kind of structured a bit like a Metal Gear boss but fight where the only way to damage him each time is to use a different bit of the environment or a different tool that Batman has, but you can only use that one tool once. So you're basically running down the list in order to kind of topple him. Um, Matthew has been on record as being a bit apathetic towards this boss fight, but um, I don't get any thoughts <laughs> on Matthew. It sticks out as like um, quite a good story character as well, because Mr. Freeze is kind of a villain in Batman, but not not quite a villain in the same way the Joker is. He's a little bit more of a motive, a little bit less kind of like just kind of cartoonish in like his his overall kind of origins um it's quite a tragic figure any thoughts on this i get that it's like quite a, a clever like pu- like stealth puzzle boss which i like generally like bosses are that they're, they're they're kind of a 
quite a weak point in Batman, given he has some of the like most iconic villains of all time in, in all pop culture. It's kind of mad to me that this game, these games aren't stuffed with like absolute dazzlers. And this is definitely one which is like mechanically more memorable. A lot of them are just like quite boring fights against big things i i get i get why this is celebrated but maybe it was hyped up a bit much by the people who are reviewing it like i had a lot of people going like wait till you get to the mr freeze fight and then you're like oh okay like i can't use batarangs or i can't use vents yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say as well like, like i don't think the series generally has very good bosses in it um i would say yeah. it's not a series of great bosses like um some of my favorites um actually in the arkham games are like ones where they're kind of like just one-off characters where they're kind of like knocked out in a single punch like um the mad hatter stuff in arkham city is good for that it's like it's kind of like mm. a concept boss um professor pig's a bit like that in arkham knight as well um mm. i like the idea of like a boss who's like basically doesn't necessarily have a giant health bar you're wearing down um it's a little bit more like well what is the setting like and that sort of thing and i think that's where they do well less so the giant like titan fights where you get on a dude and get him to knock some other dudes around that's um less interesting <laughs> so when you hit me with one of your honorable mentions matthew there's a sunset overdrive dlc it's called rise of the machines i think or it's got uh, it's it's called something way more complicated than that it's like a real eye roller of like a rise of the machines who want revenge against the computers or something dumb like that all through sunset overdrive it had this very annoying element that there are tvs all over the city that played videos about sunset overdrive they were like in-game adverts for sunset overdrive starring the community manager or a guy an actor posing as a community manager i'm not entirely sure um for insomniac who made it in this dlc like all these nanobots get into like the tv network and basically build a boss which you have to fight the community manager right in these tvs so like they got the actor again to record all these lines where it's like it's you know it's me i'm gonna kill you you know i'm sick and tired of being disrespected by the fan base and all this stuff it's like really meta but it actually it really really works it's a great payoff to something i hated about the main game that you finally get to like wreck this like human guy on a tv screen <laughs> right this game is mega underrated i've been playing it a bit lately yeah um this is like one series xs patch away from being like re-entering the discourse i think as a great unloved <laughs> kind of um modern classic um like it's just a really it's got everything i like about an open world game in it we should save it for a future episode because i reckon we could probably um chuck it into something um that we're going to do in the future but yeah good game and it sounds like a cool boss um yeah it's it's fun it's mad that like the best the best boss is hidden in a bit of dlc but there you go not to spoil your next one but you had horizon written there matthew and i thought for a second it was forza horizon and i thought it's going to be like a fucking jeep or something um (laughs) (laughs) uh that would have been good um the big hovercraft from forza horizon 4 (laughs) and it is good (laughs) I'm going to throw two here uh, together here to try and get through them a bit faster. Um, so uh, I've got Sephiroth from Kingdom Hearts here. Um, it kind of seems like a weird one, but I like the idea that this was only added in the international version of the game, I believe. But um, basically that Final Fantasy VII's boss um, becomes like a super boss in this game. Um, you fight him in the um, uh, the arena in um, uh, the Colosseum. And basically he turns up and there's a little cutscene. You see like his one wing and it's um, really nicely done. He's got this giant fuck off sword. He's the hardest enemy in the game. And it's about just kind of like being able to kind of like basically block his attacks when he hits you, being able to move fast enough to just sort of bat him from behind with your big key. 
I kind of generally wanted to shout out Kingdom Hearts here because while I think that like the camera in these games is never quite perfect, the combat is um, arguably less uh, has de- less depth than um, a lot of 3D action games. They, um, I think it always does tactile bosses quite well. Uh, the feeling of bosses, a lot of bosses you climb up and like hit in the head and stuff, and I think it sells that scale quite nicely. I've always liked that Ooh. about the bosses in Kingdom Hearts. They feel quite. Uh, there's no kind of corners cut in like how they're presented to you the scale is very impressive and right from the first game they were doing that but i picked sephiroth so i just think it was a great a great idea to have an optional super boss being this kind of like uh, another final fantasy character of which there are many in the game Mm. um so that's one matthew um i imagine you have no thoughts on that because you're not a kingdom hearts guy i was gonna say something snide about like does he like tag team with jiminy cricket or something but i mean whatever (laughs) uh not this time no um but um yeah so the other one's going to mention was um anubis and zone of the enders the second runner the reason i picked this one is because it was probably the one of the nicest looking things that i saw happen on the ps2 Mm. you fight this boss once earlier in the game and you can't beat it because it can um, teleport before you can hit it with all your attacks um you come back later on with an ability called zero shift i believe it is and you can basically teleport yourself um, and it's like a kind of like a frantic um, chase as you kind of go after this like big mech that looks like the um, Egyptian god Anubis and try and batter it with your swords and rockets and stuff in an <laughs> environment that looks like peak um, Yoshi Shinkawa in the sense there are like I think like you're surrounded by floating um, uh, kind of like uh, he- hexagons I think like um it's like the <laughs> it's like having a boss battle inside the metal gear solid 2 opening credits um right it's like uh, it's quite nicely done and when uh, anubis attacks you he shoots all this kind of red shit at you that looks um could look kind of amazing on the ps2 for the time so um that's another one i wanted to pick for spectacle really i just really love this as an end boss those are mm. always beautiful looking games so um matthew hit me with a couple more of yours or one of yours whatever you like you haven't played horizon forbidden west yet have you no but go ahead i won't get into like big spoilers or anything like this this isn't even a really a proper boss fight it's something that happens quite early in the game this kind of super powered chap turns up and you have to escape him and it's like a puzzle with a boss kind of on your tail he's so overpowered and the, the way they kind of illustrate how at ease he is and how unthreatened he is by like anything you can do is he's very like calmly whistling in the hall of the mountain king the thing you know the song the right he's like casually whistling it and I, I, it just really jumped out at me as like what a brilliant like way of showing just how like cocky a character was that he can like do this in the heat of battle and like i say the actual fights like nothing complicated you don't you know i don't know if you, i assume you fight him again later i've not played enough of the game to find out but it just really registered with me in a way that i didn't think anything horizon could do sort of would register with me like that what an unusual characterful touch for this game which i found quite cold and unfeeling in in a lot of ways a little shout out to him i think he's called eric <laughs> nice here this is the first time i think on the record you have praised a horizon game on this podcast matthew so the uh yeah. patreon subscribers are getting that as the nice exclusive go and tell the non-patreon subscribers <laughs> what happened here today <laughs> this is viral marketing at its best <laughs> You won't believe what he said. (laughs) I liked it when a guy called Eric whistled. Um, (laughs) But listen, that's a big step. Our lists were notably Resident Evil 3. Yeah, yeah. Resident Evil is kind of another classic kind of boss series. Like Capcom are, they are good at bosses. 
the platinum guys are all ex-Capcom. They all learn their kind of craft there. I imagine a lot of this comes from, like, specifically Mikami is good at bosses, and it drips down into lots of other people, uh, uh, like all his acolytes. Well, it could arguably be said that they, they're, they're, you know, their heritage is in arcade games, right? And, our, and boss, yeah. boss battles are an arcade yeah. concept. You have Mega Man yeah, and the like, you know. But so. well, I think, like, in terms of, like, nailing them in the 3D space... Right. That generation forwards, there's more of like when like Mikami comes from. Yeah, it's a different it's a different era of bosses for sure. Yeah, and I struggled to pick out like an individual fight, which I thought like, oh, this was this individually was so so good. But I I like the enemies that you fight several times through a game where the boss fights escalate and get wilder and wilder. Like you look forward to seeing them like one more time, and every time you kind of off them in a more horrible way. Um, it's something that you know, as hit and miss as I think it is. Uh, I think the Resident Evil 3 remake nemesis uh, fights are like quite spectacular and particularly the last two where you sort of bathe him in acid and then like laser him through with like a giant death laser are kind of like like thrilling really entertaining big ending to that game like that game sort of ends on a nine even if it doesn't ever quite get there for the rest of it <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, i think that's fair yeah it's trying to think about resi fights resi boss fights that i like and it's it's tough because there aren't necessarily like standouts um mm. even in resi 4 like i know a lot of people like that fight in the barn but when i played it last time i wasn't as fond of it um i found it a bit fiddly um yeah. i don't like the big monster in the lake that much i don't really like the um uh kraus is probably my favorite of all of them but um yeah, cr- they've got a lot of things which are just like big monsters you sort of dodge for a bit and then you have to shoot a very fiddly sniper bullet into a heart <laughs> like that happens a lot in resi and it's always like oh don't be a thing where like when i get stuck on a resi boss and i look up a walkthrough and they're like oh for this you just want to use like all your magnum ammo or your sniper ammo it's like i don't have any of that <laughs> like what's the walkthrough for like pistol guy you know yeah and that continues right through to like um resi village where it's like you know that big um goo monster thing you fight by the windmill who can rain acid down on you and stuff and it's like oh yeah we're still doing this you know very similar kind yeah. of vibe um so uh, yeah yeah but, yeah i and i wrote in the document Oosternak from resident evil 6 which is like sort of shit nemesis but you also <laughs> fight it so many times that by the end you're quite fond of it and it's probably stockholm syndrome <laughs> Where you're like, oh, here he is. And like, what are we going to do this time? We're going to dunk him in lava. Nice. Um, <laughs> Was that the thing that pursues Leon in the game? I don't even know what it's meant to be. It's just like a big, muscly flesh man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I love it. You know, you know me, I love a bit of Resi 6 discussion. Um, I love, I love un- going to bat for a game that probably doesn't deserve it. That's something I love doing on this podcast. Um, but yeah, like, the, uh, sort of like... Um, Resi, Resi 3 came up on the Discord, actually, Matthew, um, just before we were recording this. I don't know if you saw the discussion there, but um, no, no. I called it like, a, I, I, I think like for, for for people buying it now, because you will only ever pay like 16 quid to play it now. Right. It's, it's like, it's like well worth it for 16 quid. Like it's absolutely oh, yeah. worth smashing through in like five or six hours. Like that's a, like it's like a high seven, that game, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's become, I think it's become slightly underrated just because it got battered so much for not being Resi 2 Remake. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good a good selection. 
any more to add on the Resi boss front, Matthew? No, not really. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, big, I'm fond of how the uh, how the game ends too. That is a proper game ending right there. Uh, my next one is Andros Trueform in Star Fox 64 or a Lilac Wars <laughs> over here. Um, you've got you fight the big monkey head to finish the game, but to really finish the game, you have to fight his true form, a floating brain with eyes. It's really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very fond of this again. I'm just kind of picking it because the shock factor is the reason I picked this. Right, yeah, it's really quite nasty and strange, um, <laughs> and like it just adds an element of like I don't know, kind of horror to the end um, end of this. Very game. Kirby, yeah, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, um, so yeah, that was one I kind of wanted to pick out. Speaking of Kirby, actually, Matthew, because I mentioned your theory about um, I, I, I can't remember who the guy is who came in um the master uh, the kind of guy in 2010 ish who came in and oh then, kumazaki yeah kumazaki yeah. i shared that theory with our friend of the show jay bayless and he said that um there's actually a fucked up evangelion type monster at the end of um kirby 64 the crystal shard so he theorized the fucked up kirbiness went back even further but um i'll let um him litigate yeah, that offline, yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah sakurai sakurai had like nightmare in um dreamland as well so perfect there you go matthew's well ahead of it um yeah kirby's adventure sorry my bad no, that's fine you got nothing on this guy I, i've pushed all the kirby from my brain now that we've done that episode <laughs> um so yeah um andros true form that's um one of mine just like again a kind of a nice kind of shock like oh and also this is what's really happening the shock should be that you kill the monkey head and then you go behind its waterfall and you find its single flower and learn that it got <laughs> sick from having a centipede in it i think you should um fight um a brain and then it turns out to have a little monkey inside i think that'd be a better boss um but, yeah. oh and it just keeps getting it's like a babushka where it just keeps going like monkey brain monkey brain <laughs> monkey brain until it's either a tiny monkey or a tiny brain that can be like the bloody palace mode that they add to uh, stuff <laughs> people are like oh do you remember that star fox mode where you end up fighting a monkey that's one pixel big <laughs> that was so weird yeah it was impossible to to finish because you couldn't hit it oh very good matthew um what's your next one i toyed with putting a yakuza boss fight in my list i don't like the fighting systems in yakuza enough like i'm bad at fighting and we talked about this on the yakuza episode but I really like how a lot of these games end with just like a massive punch up between two really emotional dudes <laughs> who can only express their emotions by thumping each other in the face. Right. And they tend to end with like just absolute slugfests where it's last man standing and they both look really knackered by the end of it. Throw in some mad quick time events. I've watched videos of people who are really good at Yakuza combat playing these games. And when I watch those videos, I'm like, oh, yeah, this fight looks way better when he did it. Like, when I did it, I was basically eating a bento box every 10 (laughs) seconds to get my health up and then just hitting him with, like, couches. Um, (laughs) Like, that is every Yakuza boss fight for me. It's like, if that room has got furniture, I am making a fucking beeline for that furniture. (laughs) The the fight I really loved is uh, the very last boss of uh, Judgment, the spin-off. I won't say who the character is because it's kind of the villain you're trying to uncover for the whole thing, but they're known as, uh, I think they're known as the Mole throughout, is their code name. And you just have this like four or five stage fight in a hospital against this mad bloke. And it gets quite a little bit sort of, they're not super powered, but it's almost a little bit superhero where people are like jumping off windows and doing all these kind of mad slams and throws, which are definitely beyond like human capabilities. But it's like raining outside and there's thunder and lightning and it's, it's just, it's really, really cinematic. And by the end of it, you're like, 
one of us is going down we're both <laughs> on our like last sliver of health it's that game gets like the i guess what like the emotional payoff of a boss fight should be mm. where like you just feel t- like everyone's tired and you're like this was a real everyone's like panting and they're battered and bruised and yeah like it repeats the trick again and again but the you know the cinematography and the choreography of like the quick time events is just uh, absolute chef's kiss even with me hitting everyone with sofas which i do do and stopping for those benno boxes um, <laughs> oh, honestly like it's like this is the f- you know, when it comes up with like this is the point of no return i'm like straight to one of those like <laughs> convenience stores and i'm like i'll take 10 of everything <laughs> <laughs> oh god when i played yakuza zero and got to the, like, the end bit when you're on that boat and there's like a load of massive fights <laughs> going on and I realised that when the game loaded up again, I don't think it loaded all your bento boxes in. Like, those were consumable right. and gone. I just started to fucking panic that I was, like, trapped in a cycle of never finishing this boss because I'd gone in with, like, you know, nine um, very, like, good, like, uh, the most expensive bento boxes and they were all gone. I just thought, oh, fuck, this is it. I'm never going to finish this game. and It's going to be so embarrassing. Uh, good stuff, Matthew. Um Great. So my last, um, my last uh, honourable mention here is going to be um, Ishin in Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, the final boss of the game. It takes place in the setting where you fight the game's first boss, which is a nice bit of symmetry. I picked this because I think again he represents a really interesting challenge in the game. You can you can properly learn him, but the absolute fucker about this one is that he's got a fourth phase, like. Three phases kind of has like it makes sense in your head. You're like, well, yeah, that's that's probably the maximum number that a boss, most bosses would have. Rule of three kind of thinking to it, I guess. But then mm. the fourth fourth phase is the one where he just starts chucking lightning bolts at you, and I like I put quite a lot of effort into learning how you fire the lightning bolts back at him. And I think when I beat him the fir- the second time, I think I did it with like firing a lightning bolt back, and that was like that was the parting shot I got on him, and I kind of really loved that. But yeah, another great one to to learn. I think um, Sekiro's bosses, all the best ones, are the straightforward one to one sword encounters where it's like right. a perfect kind of like challenge for your movement, knowing when to jump, when to like um, d- dodge to the side, when to parry. Um, when to do the kind of perfect sort of counter attack yeah all that stuff it just does so so well so yeah this is um this is a great boss matthew um but you've never seen it right so yeah uh no no it's very similar to genichiro ashne it's kind of like a a plus version of that really um very wow, similar okay. like um, basically oh God, i can't do the minus version <laughs> well the regular version of genichiro ashne basically sheds his skin and there's a different dude underneath it i think that's what happens um, oh yeah, yeah, fucked up, man. Um, it's real, it's real bad there back in um, uh, feudal Japan or whenever it's set. <laughs> uh, bad times. Okay, great. Well, we've done the first Patreon episode, Matthew. Back page XL. Then the first one's in the can. Um, we should have tweeted what we're doing for the rest of the year by now. I'm not committing to them um, on air yet because we don't think me and Matthew have actually agreed them in um, IRL yet. But um, that was really fun, wasn't it? It was good to, to dive oh, into. It was fun, and that was that was Excel. I think we I think we covered that pretty comprehensively. Yeah, I think like it just maybe had a bit less of a superficial roundup of a thing and more of a deep dive into a thing. Um, which was kind of the goal. Yeah, I, I think that was sort of the aim of it, wasn't it? That we were going to sort of use this for stuff that we wanted to kind of dig into, but we maybe hadn't found like a neat way of folding into our regular schedule, which which tries to be a, maybe a, a bit more reactive to like stuff that's going on. I would say. Yeah, for sure. But there's um, there'll be some good stuff in the uh, in the can too, and like like I say, if we hit that six hundred pound mark, then we will um, you'll unlock a second po- podcast at the. Um, 
five pound ish tier, whichever tier we set that at. I might, might have adjusted it for VAT or some bullshit. I don't know yet. I haven't dug into the <laughs> Patreon back end. Very well prepped for this, aren't I? Um, so, yes, uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, you, I'm sure, listening at home, know where to find us. Um, it's uh, patreon.com slash backpage pod if you'd like to recommend us to your family and friends. <laughs> and um, yeah, and uh, we're backpage pod on Twitter, of course, where we tweet about um, new episodes and that sort of stuff. Um, the Discord link you'll find there too. Um, if you go in there, um, we'll create um, a specific um, di- uh, Patreon channel so you can talk about stuff that's going on with the um, the Patreon stuff, add nice. suggestions, that sort of thing. Um, I will not be taking any more channel requests in the Discord, though. Um, please note the listeners. Uh, <laughs> uh, Becker, <Bathy laughs> but if you are a patron, we'll be a little less short with you on Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Much nicer. Hey, thanks for being here. But no, we're not. Ha- we're not having a channel on sandwiches. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but it's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so where can people find you on social media, Matthew? Mr. Basil underscore pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. Thanks for your support, and we'll be back next month with another episode of Backpage XL. Goodbye. See you soon.